The Coco Nation show is an unscripted live and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. My turn. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 337. How's everybody doing? Awesome. How are you doing? Great. All right. We made it. I'm still on the right side of the daisies. <laughs> Heck yeah. Coco Day. Made it through another week. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see what we got on the panel today. Oh, I need to flip a button over here. There we go. That one. Uh, let's see. We have Mark Overhoser. Hey, glad to be here today. And next over, yours truly. And we got Bob Emery. Howdy, folks. Welcome. And Rick Uland. Look it up, folks. It's 169 hours until the next one. <laughs> okay. Next over, we got Terry Stiggy. Hello, everybody. And Ken Waters. Hello, everyone. Hey, round elbow. Hello, and Mark Overholzer. Thanks for not banning me from the show because I'd made your face. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Okay. It's, it's there. Okay, Jason, Cocoman.biz. I've got my diet, Dr. Pepper, and my water, and I'm ready. Okay, and Del Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. And Brian Weasler. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. Okay, and then Alan. Howdy, howdy. And last but not least, Nick Marenti. Yep, on the bottom end of the list. Uh, could I run? Hey. Somehow you always end up down there, don't you? I know. <laughs> I was in the underside of the world, so the upside down top. Speaking of underside of the world, there, Nick, you're you're one of those uh, smart people that doesn't change times for daylight savings, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the switchover, I believe, is tonight, two a.m. or something. Yes, tomorrow that, morning. Oh, good. That means right. I can sleep in uh, an extra hour. Yep. Same with me it, and Ron. Is it five oh four a.m. there? Uh, 4 I 4 Okay. Where so are you? For us, we're dropping, we're back, uh, dropping off one hour. 
So instead of being one o'clock here, it'd be noon. Yeah, so we got to wait an extra hour for next week's show. And you say yeah. that like it's a bad thing. Well, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so it looks like Facebook didn't get on the stream from what we're seeing from Mark Siegel and Marco Borzer. I don't know. It looks Are like they? Nope. we have to bump start again to make them work. Something. I want to get out the jumper cables. Right. Well, let me check my buttons here. Um, well, they're turned yeah. on. We got marked as Canadian news, and now it's blocked. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, because I show we are uh, connected. I think. Yeah, there's Facebook, Twitch, and three channels there. I got four channels over here. So, yeah, I don't know. They're, all, they're turned on. Yeah, for whatever reason, it didn't start. Weird. Is that an issue? Well, Mark Siegel switched said he had to switch to YouTube because he couldn't get in Facebook, which is where he normally watches us. Oh, okay. I don't think it's an issue. I think it's a feature. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. well, you're going to lose some people, I guess. Like, I guess it don't matter, huh? I'm posting a thing with links to the Twitch and YouTube. So, thanks. Yeah, yeah. there, there, there's a solution, and that's that's it for now. I mean, it does show the zero zero uh, viewers on Facebook. Oh, if it's yeah. not on Facebook, that would make it real easy to get zero. We also have zero uh, viewers <laughs> on uh, on uh, on cable TV right now, too. Yep. Zero on Apple TV, too, unless you're watching it through the YouTube app. Okay. Yeah. Mark's post is out there on Facebook, but I hope so. It. So the question is, is, should we do anything about it? I don't think we can at this point. Let's start everything. Okay. Yeah, I'm not even sure. Yeah, if you posted the links already, it would just say that for some reason the Facebook crossover didn't work. And please watch us on YouTube or Twitch. And that's what I did. And posted links. It's 2023. Real everything player. Works. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, real player. <laughs> quick time. There we go. The original postage size stamp, quick time. Listen, listen to us on internet phone. Okay. We'll be uh, an animated GIF. That's what we'll be. We'll be any sound. You'll have to read or not to, or something. We're currently not on a dial-up modem either. No, that we're not. <laughs> All right. Do we like have we any could project? Be. Do we have any project updates today? I have a have project. Who said yes? Oh, Bob. Huh? Is that you? I have one. I think somebody else did too. Yeah, I'm secondary. Okay. Hey, right. Bob and Rick. Yep. All right, go ahead, Bob. All right, I will go. First, I'm going to switch to my overhead here. So basically, I got a new cocoa. I'm going to get this one out of the way. Is that the two meg uh, upgraded one you did, or give nope. me XP? Uh, yeah, this is my regular all that, USB powered. And that's your workhorse. But uh, basically, this is going to be my next Coco 3. You broke it. Where will you put the monitor? <laughs> Got a bill of materials there. Well, it'll plug Is that in a Pedro board, perchance? 
I got here is one of Pedro Pena's Athena boards. That's Pedro's, right? Yep. Coco 3 kit. Very nice. Uh, Look at the box of parts, man. (laughs) I think I have uh, 99% of the things in here. There's basically like a a couple of transistors or something that I just uh, probably need to dig out of my parts bin. So what do you do for the gimme in this particular case? So first I'm going to just take one out of an existing Coco uh, to make sure that it works. And then well, give me X. I'm going to put that in there and see that work. And as long as that works, this will basically be the first fully functional, 100% modern component Coco 3 made. Cool. Now we just need to get the Gimme X back into production and build that into the board. Make bone Coco 3s. I haven't got one of these for it that I took out of my head. Weed. <laughs> I, I the big question is if we do ever get to the point where the Gimme X can be either built into Pedro's board completely, or if we uh, just get it manufactured, plug it into the board, do we call it a Coco Three B or a Coco Four, or a Coco Three Plus? Yeah, October, or that too. A plus. How about a Coco Three and a Half? <laughs> yeah. like even NASA's oh. making uh, something new called NASA Plus. <clears throat> I've even. Uh, prototyped one of these up a little better than my first shadowly cut out attempts but uh, this kind of I can put the uh, first I'll put the original uh, modulator in there but this will also fit just nicely which is what HDMI oh this is HDMI yeah that's sweet can you say that though legally Oh right, it's 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 HDMI like somehow, right? But right. Some legal DVI. It's DVI. Yeah, well, there you are. Well, HIDM. What well, would you call that connector? Yeah, generically, then. Well, it's HDMI over or it's DVI over an HDMI connector, but it's not actually HDMI. There's right. there's right. some weird legal wrinkle. There. Yeah, there's a legal distinction. Yeah. Well, as long as there's no audio mixed box, in with it, it's fine. But it'll work with that. <laughs> By the way, there's much disagreement in the chat about what to call a, a next-gen Coco, because Mikey Furman says Coco 4 forever. Uh, Sixty says, no, nah, I like 3B. After all, Tandy themselves seem to add those letter suffixes at random. <laughs> there was a Coco 4. I'd say skip one and call it Actually, a there wasn't. There was ones hinted at being, but they were called the MM1, the TC70. Right. None of them were actually called a Coco 4. Wait, isn't there one with that two floppy box on top that says Coco 4 on it? Above the, the there was no computer though that was just a case mock-up and it never got past that so there's no computer there mm-hmm. it was just a case no it was like that case design they then later used in the 1000 line yeah mm. what about a coco three and five sixteenths <laughs> we're metric here we'd have to call it something coco in you know six millimeter or something don't go there the government here in wisconsin <laughs> They wanted to use numbers for all the avenues, and then they had winding rural avenues, so they ended up with one and seven sixteenths by two and three eighths avenue, <laughs> because the two ends ended up in different places on the grid. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Bob, were you able to locate a, a a proper socket for the gimme? Uh, I think so. Or put it this way, I I got the proper socket that fits this board. Okay. 
So whether it would fit a factory board or not, I don't know if that's the same, but yeah, the, I have the, the PLCC uh, socket. Yeah, they still good. make those bad sockets. Apparently they're so poor quality that they'll be made forever. Because David Cranker is suggesting the Cocoa 3 Deluxe to kind of go with the, you know, Cocoa Deluxe never came out, but was manufactured. Because people are always willing to pay for that level of quality. Cocoa right. 3E. And that's why this show is free. <laughs> so with, with Pedro's board, I'm trying to remember, did he go component by component or did he actually simplify some of the uh, Cocoa uh, 3 a little bit? I believe this is pretty much a component for component match. I've got the full uh, bill of materials and all of the component numbers are the same. Yeah, I think the goal was to make a reproduction that would fit in the case exactly like the original one. And then basically if you had a cracked one or something like that, right. you could just right. swap. And he'd already made the pepper. So there was no reason to recreate that here. Just put a pepper board in it. Yeah, so I've actually so, got um, a working salt chip from a pepperboard converted cocoa. So I'm going to do that first, and then I'll I have a pepperboard and a daiquiri board for the DAC. Now, quick quick question for you, Bob: How do you, long do you think it'll take you to put everything on there once you have everything you need? That's a good question. Uh, probably. <laughs> I mean that's that's a solid weekend of soldering if I were <laughs> right. Well, there is. I was wondering because we're since we got the Cocoa Tech channel starting up, and I mean a lot of these hardware channels, you know, it's all live soldering. Even if it takes like three weeks to do make it affixed to a board or something like that, would you consider maybe doing a live stream of that with maybe some commentary as you're going? Yeah, well, actually, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna be making a video of it. So probably what we'll do is uh, I can roll some of that video and we can just do some Q&A while we talk about it, you know? Okay. But yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that seems to be popular with the hardware guys about watching somebody solder for hours and then I get bored yeah, after yeah. five minutes because mm -hmm. I haven't seen any hair on fire yet. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of the reason I want to make it a, a video so that I don't have to sit there and solder every individual thing. I'll do like a little montage of all the resistors going in and capacitors and diodes and stuff. Yeah, no, for standard video, that I think that's ex exactly what most people do. But I, I've noticed from Sloopy introducing me some of these live streamers that do hardware, and they go for like four to six hours a shot, and they might mm -hmm. be doing the same machine for three weeks in a row, and it, they get a lot of people in there commenting and stuff, so it's apparently popular. Kind of an ASMR type of thing. But if you re if you pre-record it, it's easier to edit out the explicitives. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think most of those other yeah. ones have, you know, they're they're not for kids ratings on their channels yeah, and i don't know if i tried soldering that for sure wouldn't be also when you soldered the resistor in place of where the capacitor goes that, that never no. or, or you get the resistor going the wrong direction uh, well the resistor there's... going the wrong direction how does that it's work just sloppy. by the way pedro himself <laughs> is saying live build would be great <laughs> so um what will you be calling the computer when it's all assembled on the badge I don't know, but I'm gonna. The project oh, is gonna be Project Athena. Yeah, that's already on the board here. So would that be an Athena Coco three? So maybe. So so you're gonna have to get your video can rechromed there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Use that. Uh, they have that spray that looks like uh, 
Chrome. Do you ever see that? No, mm -hmm. that's so small. You could do it with a battery and some. Uh... <laughs> oh, actually, actually played it. Yeah, just played it in your bedroom. You know? Played it gold. I've done some copper plating before. One Bob uh, uh, Pedro is saying in the chat here he says I can't wait. I think he's talking about watching the live build of it. <laughs> yeah, he's anxious to see this thing run too. <laughs> it's it's either instructional or self affirming. You know, it's like wow, that's how you do that, or wow, I'm so much better than that guy. So either way, it works out, right? Right. <laughs> and Chad votes for watching it. Is this the um, Athena blue board, um, blue smoke board? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> there will be no smoke uh, other than before the it's time. <laughs> <laughs> Things pretty. Yeah, I like the white. I think his next batch. He said he's going to do purple. Ooh, purple so is gonna... royalty. Yeah. So, Bobby, if I'm going by the chat here, I would say that if you can live stream it and then also locally record it so you can make an edited, you know, summarized video for the people that just want the quick hit. But there's mm -hmm. enough interest, I think, in you doing a live stream as you're going, just if, oh, if you're up to it. Sure. It'd be so interesting experiment the, to see how, how many viewers you'd get for that if we advertise it. Would yeah, this right. board be a, a better board than the actual one that came from, you know, Radio Shack Tandy? Um, is yeah, it thicker is it you know better built or it you know feels it's whiter about the same. Well, there, I would say the, the solder mask is definitely tougher than that green. Um, this, this is a fiberglass board where back in the days it was basically paper, so what, just the, the quality of boards board? in general has gotten better. Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was resin and paper, and now it's resin and fiberglass, and the FR4 or whatever is, okay. is really good stuff. I mean, it's it's structurally sound and things like that, where yeah. resin and paperboard, phenolic boards weren't that way. So just, I don't know specifics, but in general, this is going to, you know, a modern board is better. They just, state-of-the-art is Grown. So why why is it we don't see the traces going across on the board? I mean, is it because it's far away or it's covered under the mask? Might just be my uh, camera exposure. I mean, I can kind of see them under the mask here, but it's so. What do you mean mask? Because the white, the white the solder mask. Well, first you have to get past the Uno and Dos before you get to the trace. Right. <laughs> you can almost kind of see. You can mask. almost get the shadow to hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there. I just saw it there. Yeah. And and what's the idea of having it that way instead of like uh, original was? I mean, what's you, can, you can drop pennies in the slots. Oh, <laughs> and not <laughs> it, have it short out. It won't short out. You or won't get soldered to solder into another trace next door. Or, or yeah. Well, I like having it a different color to differentiate it from a factory one, if nothing else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the solder mask is there for what the name is, is that these are usually soldered with a solder flow machine, and so the solder only sticks where it needs to stick. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a better explanation. Well, that's how, how the old uh, one was, too. Yeah. This is the one that... Are there any plans... Go ahead. Uh, are there any plans to have a uh, new board with... Uh, a few enhancements on it 
Hedra has mentioned that in the past. Ooh, I mean the RF modulator. Who's going to use that? Where did yeah, you right. get that? I think I think the first revisions was to just get a working product and then build out from there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to build it with the RF modulator just to prove that it works, and then uh, convert it to HDMI. Same with the power. I'm going to build it with all the original power components and then convert it to DC. Yeah. Along Nick's suggestions, I mean, some things that I would like to see other than the Gimme X, obviously, <clears throat> would be like the DAT board built in so you can just swap in two meg without having to like desolder CPUs and yeah, put in those satellite boards and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. A built in disk controller like the Deluxe was supposed to have might not be a bad idea either. So you can free the cartridge slot without having a multi pack for something else. Yeah. And I'm sure Pedro is, uh, Taking all these ideas into consideration. I know I know that's what Julian's, uh, we'll be covering that a little bit later in the news here, but Julian Brown is doing the Dragon, uh, I keep forgetting which one is his and which one's Karen's. I think he's doing the Dragon 32, but he's already on his, you know, upgraded one where he's added up to 256K of RAM on board and he's added a few other things too. And he's actually just currently putting that, that version together. So he's, he's adding enhancements already as well. Couldn't you almost power the whole motherboard with a, cell phone battery in place of that um, absolutely can well bob you you have already have it powered up running like your other ones powered up just by using USB-C, isn't it um that one's running off of pd power nine volts not or 12 volts not uh five volts but you can run a coco off of five volts uh you just won't get cassette or rs-232 there's another thing to build into your upgrade board is the buck boost converter to mm -hmm. make eight volts out of five volts. <laughs> what is that a new part for your keyboard connector or is that a recycled salvage? This is a brand new uh, keyboard socket that I found on DigiKey. What's the number? Yes, what's the number? <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, by the way, uh, Pedro in the chat saying uh, he included the DMA mod suggested by Jim Brain onto this board. And Mark Siegel saying the Deluxe did not have a disc controller built in. No, it did not. Um, the Coco 3, the original prototype that Microware has, the big honking board that I think Mark Marlett has now, that did have a uh, disc controller and ROM built in. Okay, so the DigiKey number is... Okay, we can't see it there. It is A as in Apple. One, four, 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 three, four, dash ND. Two hours mm -hmm. later, he's still saying the number. <laughs> well, yeah, but that you look it up once. <laughs> <laughs> and now we crashed DigiKey's uh, site by everyone hitting it all at once. Right <laughs> now, does any of you right. hardware guys remember what the DMA mod Jim Brain was? I remember I, I covered it, but I don't remember what exactly that was. Yeah, well, on the Coco 3, if you did any hardware that tried to access uh, you know, DMA, you couldn't do it on the Coco 3 because it had a, had a buffer or some chip between the bus and the CPU that prevented that from happening. It worked on a Coco right. 1 and 2, but not on a 3 because of that that chip it had. So the, the DMA mod, I assume, is just uh, missing that chip or or something to bypass it. So it, it was only uh, uh, added in for some form of protection. 
Now, box could you explain what the DMA CPU. is for all of us? DUMB. Direct, <laughs> direct memory access, so that external circuits could actually access the memory of the the main computer without the main CPU knowing about it. Oh. Yeah, Amigas and stuff had that for like doing sound and other things. Yeah. You know, like you could have the disk now, controller take a sector and dump it straight into memory without having the CPU transfer it. Essentially, that's you multitask because multiple devices well, can be doing Yeah. Well, you could probably have an external CPU or so accessing the same RAM as the uh, the main CPU, I guess. Looks good, Bob. Yeah, the socket fits. So mommy isn't going to like when their children are doing things without her knowledge. Pedro's got a couple other comments on this board. He said the keyboard connector is better because you can use Coco 2 and Coco 3 keyboards with it. Yeah. And this um, one yeah, there's, contacts there's, on both sides. Yeah, there's that one where the Mylar was upside down. <laughs> yeah. And he also that? says it was adding a trace to the CPU trace, which I'm <laughs> guessing is that DMA is talking about. Oh, yeah. This keyboard socket I have here has wipers on both sides, so even older right. keyboards to work. Right, and the, the Tandy socket looks like it has wipers on both sides, but one side is just a spring. It isn't electrically yeah. active at all. So good luck with that one. <laughs> the other thing that I'm going to have to do, I've got a brand new ROM chip, a uh, brand new ROM chip that I'm going to have to get flashed, an EEPROM. It probably would be a good idea to put a nice bright white case, you know, you know, under that and around it, because if you use a yellow one, it would really show up when, yeah. <laughs> because it's pure white. Right. Maybe we'll Ooh. need a translucent case. Wait a couple of years. You'll know why people don't make white circuit boards. Yeah. <laughs> but in the chat says that's a distortion of the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of curiosity, were you able to go to one supplier for the parts, or did you have to shop around? Um, you could probably get 90% of it from DigiKey, but I did a little bit more shopping around than that. I got most of it from, I would say, probably 60 to 70% from DigiKey and 20% from Mauser and a few miscellaneous items from Jameco. So this isn't going to run you about $1,800, is it, like that one online? No. I'll have to tally up the individual prices because I ordered some things, you know, multiple items more than just for this board. So I'll price it out and come up with an actual total based on the bill of materials here. Yeah, because everything in there, I, I would guess, except the salt, which we do have a replacement for now, the pepper chip. Uh, and the gimme is the only thing that's really custom custom in there, right? Pretty much. Um, yeah. Hey, you've got that DAC chip now that he makes. I forgot the name of it. His uh, replacement is called the Daiquiri. Yeah. I have that. Well, I and Pedro's it. saying it's about $70 <laughs> in components. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's a lot cheaper than buying them on eBay. I have Coco 3 on eBay, I'll tell you. So once <laughs> once we've got a replacement, give me this actually will be a cheaper way to have a Coco 3, even if you 3D print your own case. Yeah, right. Or make one out of wood. Now, there you go. 
But look, look I want that wood grain finish like the VCS. Yeah, That'll look awesome. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks good though, Bob. I'm glad to see somebody doing this. Uh, be good to see the result when you're done. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to putting it together, and I feel like it's actually quite an honor. So, shout out to and Pedro. Pedro we're going to have to have you on again here sometime to talk about what some of your future plans are for expanded versions of the board. Of course, we'll feature creepy like mad, but still, right? You know, you know how, how on a PC the board is important because of speed or so on. Um, there's no chance that this computer would work any faster than a stock. Uh, with a Gimme X and a static no. RAM upgrade and the C-rated parts, yes. My, mine's mine's running at two point eight six mm. megahertz, not one point seven eight. Right, and the parts are going to be the speed limit for some time. Yeah, the weakest where link. Yeah. Weakest link is you know whatever the slowest thing is. RAM, CPU. <clears throat> yep, static RAM solves the RAM problem because you don't have to refresh it. So that whole part of the cycle is gone. You can put it back to the right. CPU. But um, more important. The right. Gimme X will handle three megahertz just fine, so that takes the Gimme out of the equation, and that also takes out video refresh, something else that would get screwed up. And uh, the six 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 three C O nine is already rated for three megahertz from Hitachi, so that solved that too. Right. And I haven't had any problems with P PIAs or anything else, but I think I'm trying to remember. I think uh, Hitachi. I don't know if they're still for sale or not, but they did make their low power versions of those chips as well, like the six eight twenty ones and stuff. So I think you might be able to get three megahertz rated parts for those. Rocky so this this DMA thing is is has nothing to do with the day to day operation of the machine. Just when uh, a program would actually use it, is that what it is? Yeah, well, you'd have to program specifically it. for some other thing to get on the bus to read and write to the RAM. Okay, it'd be software and hardware. Yeah, it just said in the, in the existing Coco, like the main Coco three board, it was actually disabled. You couldn't do it at all. So. All right, but they were already kind of pulling that trick to do the video, weren't they? Hard to see it there, but I've got an actual yellow video connector for this one. <laughs> is that to match a yellowed case? <laughs> well, because the yellow cable is the video yeah, yeah. connector. It's supposed to be yellow. <laughs> it's always supposed to have been yellow. It's it pre-yellow to the supposed sun. to be any other color but yellow for video. Yeah, but they're red, they're red and white, and they're not even consistent between different Coco 3s I have here. Well, so that's because they had red audio connectors and white audio connectors, and just you know, you had to use up all the lefts and all the rights together. So. <laughs> Why did Tandy do that? It was cheap. <laughs> Pedro's right. saying the news PIAs can actually go up to 15 megahertz, so that won't be a problem for speaking up either. Right, and board speed won't be a problem for some time to come, so it's it's more faster silicon's all we need to make faster cocos. Yeah, and that the Gimme X is already running at that, you know, over a megahertz faster than a Coco 3 can do normally, so it's that for sure is there. Maybe further, who knows? But if you're a purist, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, then you're an idiot. Uh, well, that's the question. <laughs> if you made it, if you made a stock spec gimme that happened to run at 32 megahertz, and a stock spec 6809 clone that ran at 32 megahertz, is that really not the same thing? Or you know, I, I, we, we've experience. talked about this many times on the show, but my feeling is the Coco community right from day one was a hacker community. We had all kinds of weird hardware mods and a lot of the other machines didn't. So we're used to this to me. I, I do whatever the heck you want. And if it runs faster, I'll definitely take it. Excel <laughs> uh, in Paradise is afraid for all of us. <laughs> all right, Rick, uh, what you got? Yeah. Oh, so my acquisition is kind of uh, 
sad in a way. Um, I had Break a, out the Kleenex. I had a little kit work I needed to do. And uh, so from Heathkit Zenith, we came up with this wonderful, uh, now keep in mind, this is Heathkit Zenith Data Systems. So this is technically a kit and it is a data system because it's a doorbell. But uh, yeah, they still have their manual though. <laughs> I guess if you've never built the Heathkit, you wouldn't uh, wouldn't feel my disappointment in the fact that Heathkit is now source of doorbell transformers and not uh, oh this is current modern yeah this is this is what oh Heath okay yeah i was wondering what, what what's the sad part here i don't understand oh yeah this is what Heathkit and zenith data systems does now they sell doorbell transformers oh, what they don't <laughs> damn i mean they used to do everything tvs i mean you get whole console tvs uh, and zds did whole well heath did whole computers and then they spun that off into zds mm. Which was yeah. the Zenith computer, and in now the, you know it's. But they still got manuals. Yeah, in the eighties, <laughs> my dad built a a uh, Zenith or a uh, Heathkit console wood wood grain cabinet TV in the eighties. It was something else. It, anything you could buy stuff from Heathkit that you couldn't buy, you know, just and build it. Oh yeah, there's all kinds of ham transceivers, shortwave receivers, all kinds of stuff. Is that what Bob's using? <laughs> Question for you, Rick, uh, from Mikey in the chat. Uh, what about the new Heathkit company that sells electronic kits? I haven't seen them yet. Um, I assume they are now separate from Heath Zenith, and the names have just gone in all directions. Um, oh. This is just something I stumbled over last week. I had to fix my doorbell. Well, here's here's a website <laughs> of Heathkit. And, yeah, it looks like they're still... Selling? Not seeing it there, Mark. Um, oh, it okay. didn't get highlighted. Make me go. Oh, can I remove me there? Oh, okay. I know what I need to do. Hang on. Well, that's uh, interesting. Because I would like to build some old Heathkit stuff. It's relaxing to build something you know is going to work when you're done, instead of you know okay. it's going to need 17 updates and another. Not sure how well this works, but here you go. Oh, here it is. Interesting. Oh, they're definitely built on the old company. They said we invented do it yourself. So. Yeah, and that's the right logo and everything. Cool. Somebody got uh, the ID and is using it. Then you get the, could be. the manuals. <laughs> oh, but now they're they're Heath Kit specifically, which is fair. I'll chase them. <laughs> oh, transceivers, these things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's something kit. familiar. Check out cool. the shirt. Scroll, scroll back up. It says, "Look at the back of the shirt. Heathkit's back. It's about time." They got the clock <laughs> blown out there. <laughs> nice. And I think that's the uh, that's the clock, isn't it? And there's the clock. <laughs> Maybe that means I can actually get a Heathkit now and build one like I've always wanted to do. Yeah. And yeah, it looks like they're tennis. back, at least to this this part of the business, anyway. Where's the big TV? They probably don't sell those anymore. We're still, still <laughs> yeah. waiting on yeah. I'm 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 looking for the Heath bar. Is that an, <laughs> an animator? Those are tasty. There? Uh, that's just the that's just the cups. C cups. 
Apparently, it's an upgrade uh, in an older one. That would fit in Heath Kit as well. <laughs> oh, by the way, on the stream here, they're saying they're just seeing your space shuttle launch background picture. Uh, I was oh. worrying. I was wondering if that was going to work or not. There, there it is. So I got to do it this way so that everybody can see it. Let's go back to the first page. There's that clock again. Yep, there's the clock, and here's that T-shirt we were just talking about. There's an experimenter computer kit right there. Yep. Dixie tubes. <laughs> oh, no, there's an actual stereo. Nice. Uh, oh, that's the display for the stereo kit. Apparently, upgrade to an old kit or something. Yep. Okay. Cool. Heath well, kit now, uh, Heath kit now has a soldering kit with the edge hair. I wonder who you're thinking about when you said that. I wonder. Cool. I, I mean, that was an accidental sideshow there on Heathkit, but it's. I'm glad to see that they're back because I remember hearing about them back in the 70s and 80s too. Well, and the thing was, they didn't just show you how to put it together. They showed you, okay, this is a this is a voltage divider, and we're doing it because it does this. And so yeah, they were actually... educational kits. They weren't just like here's a bunch of parts, have fun. It was we're going right. to explain how everything works. So you learn mm -hmm. principles Absolutely. of electronics. In high I, school, I, we built a uh, het heterodyne, whatever they called it, um, radio, you know, super heterodyne, whatever they call it. Yep. And it was yep. uh, like three tubes or something in a white case, you know, in the uh, head of chassis and everything, you know, the, the uh, grade was given if it worked at the end. You know, I built it and supposedly at the time I knew what the parts were and why they worked. <laughs> And it, mine worked, and I got the good grade now. But, um, you know, after it was all done, it was like a miracle. <laughs> it, it, it worked. Yeah. I, I think Wayne's around your age, if not even a bit older, and he says an FM tuner that uses four tubes. Four? Oh, well, this is AM, so I don't know. Four tubes. I have yeah. a guitar amp that uses four tubes. <laughs> Those spring connectors, yeah. They get hot. Yeah. I remember towards the end of Heathkit when I was into amateur radio and I saw some of their ads and like the TVs they were selling were RCA TVs that were a kit and it actually cost more than the buying the TV at the store. So that, that was kind of the downfall. But, you know, originally you could save money by building it yourself and learn something. Yeah. I think the learning thing was the big thing because I remember you know, electronic classes here in high school had heat kits they'd bring in for the students to work on. There was uh, two people standing um, in front of a trick or treat thing, and they had they were dressed as resistors in <laughs> <They had> stripes, <laughs> stripes on it. And at first, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking it's familiar to me, but I, I couldn't tell you the value of them. But <laughs> there they were. Oh well, no, the joke's on you. They were really dressed as inductors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of electronics humor for you folks there. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, a bunch of old guys reminiscing. 
who could show up in a in a white That's box and, tell, and, and have smoke come out and say, "I'm a reefer." Oh, or they're in Pennsylvania. Aren't they originally in Michigan? I don't remember. Yes, Benton Harbor. Yeah, now it's Ottsville, Pennsylvania. Actually, it says their main development is in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah. Michael Hobbies in the chat here yeah. says, uh, here's a scary thought. I talked to a vintage collector yesterday. When we die, what will happen to our computer collections? All that history goes in the trash. We've discussed this at, uh, on the show a few times. In fact, we're supposed to have a special that Mark's going to overnight. Uh, Mark Overholzer is going to organize about that. We were originally supposed to have a Coco Fest talk about it last year, but he didn't have time to get it ready. So keep your ears peeled. Uh, we'll be discussing that in some more detail. Yeah, it's a very important topic because uh, you want to make sure that uh, stuff gets recycled properly at the very least. Yeah. And hope it'll pass it on to somebody who would appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Well, next up, we have another installation of Weasler's Warehouse. And as yet, we don't have an intro, but we do have a title. We should have uh, the sound of a truck backing up. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually not a bad idea. Because <laughs> um, during our commercial, uh, one of our commercials, we have the uh, Radio Shack Semi. Yeah, we do. That pulls up. Mm -hmm. Okay, where's the, there's the button I need. Uh, there we spotlight for everyone. There you go, Brian. I finally got you blown up. Brian, okay. do you know what your last last name means? Does it mean like warehouse or something in nope. in no. German sure. or something? No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, today's show is going to be a little bit of something new, something old, something blue. Um, first we'll do uh do some new here that uh, that I recently got, and let me switch cameras here. And focus. Come on. There we are. Not going to focus, is it? Is it a Pez? There we go. Okay. You guys you can kind of maybe see the name there a little bit. Uh, anybody recognize what this might be? Unassembled. I got some projects that are new stuff that I recently bought that needs to be assembled. Kind of shaking, so, can... so it's hard to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to keep my hands off the desk there. So let me go ahead and take the stuff out of here. I think I saw the word Ujima flip, though. Is that right? Yep, that is right. Yep. This is from... Um, uh, Dragon Plus, John Whitworth. Uh, this is one of his projects there. And there's uh, a couple edge connectors and this little edge board and a resistor and a couple of jumpers. And once you assemble the board here, uh, one, one, one edge card connector goes on this side and the other one goes up here. Oh, I know what and that's then, for. And then this would fit into that edge card and the idea behind this, and it works, it, I think it really is only designed to work with the Dragon, is that you would plug this into the ROM socket and it inverts the cartridge to above. And then you could like put your Coco SDC above, or you could put the uh, the sprite board, as long as there's enough clearance. And the, the case of a Dragon is, uh, um, is rather Expansive. high. Right. So uh, the idea behind this is that it, uh, it inverts it. So. Uh, with these two connectors here. Does it so still you let can... you plug another item into the card slot? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. So the, there's a, it, it extends it on this side here and then you can, you could, so you could have like a, uh, you could have the Sprite board on top and then you can still plug your Coco SDC through the, through the ROM slot on the side. 
Um, so yeah, it still allows the use of it. But I mean, this way here, if you had a Coco SDC set up to work it with the Dragon, you could keep it plugged in and use it all the time. I mean, the only time you'd have to take the cover mm. off would be if you wanted to get access to the uh, uh, SD card. But if you're just using it, um, then you can still plug in. Uh, uh, so it's like an internal M- mini MPI, basically, because you end up getting two slots. Mm. Right. Or like the, there was the Y adapters that were popular back in the day where you had the ribbon cable and it gave you two connectors. Yeah. Right. In a sense like <clears> that. So as long as they were fully address decoded. <laughs> correct. Yeah, so once you put this connector on this side here, the pins stick through on this side, and this and this gets to be a little tricky though. But this gets soldered like this right between those pins, so you have to line it up just perfect, and then solder along this side, and then solder along this side onto the onto the pins from the edge card connector as it comes through. So the pins are going to protrude on this side, and then you solder this on right to the pins. So you have to flow some solder between those. Uh, uh, between the pads on here and the pads on here. So it's a little tricky, but I think once you get a few sets, so this would stand upright by itself, then you can go ahead and solder the rest of them in place. So it's going to take quite a bit of solder to get this set. Why wouldn't they just put a socket on there and then have that stick into it and stick out far enough to, you know what I mean? To Because can, can I throw this out real quick? Oh. So here, here's a product I made back in the day called the Expander, which is kind of the same idea. Oh, hang on, um, I gotta get you, get, oh. gotta get you visible here. It it, Holy it smoke. folds things that. back over the cocoa motherboard. Yes. The problem with all that, if you don't do what John did, is you've got to make this thing. Uh, if I could get this in my camera, see this handmade fingerboard here that's very rough and hard to do mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why he used just two connectors and they just have a fingerboard and you slap it into the connector and you don't have to hand solder all these teeny tiny little pins stand up pins yeah bs things together right so yeah that's the idea and it worked even in a cocoa you had to change things around but even in a cocoa case you could sneak stuff back over the top of the motherboard so there's a floppy controller you so, use that for your repack solution didn't you yeah, that was my repack. It didn't quite fit in a cocoa case, but it pretty close did. John's fits in the dragon case as it is, so that's really cool. I have a computized Y Y cable that I use in in the um, repack that I have. Yeah, TC nine. I have a Y cable in there as well. Came from Frank Hogg. Yeah, they were talk about things you can do at two megahertz that you could never uh, do on a modern computer. Y cables, right? Cool. Yeah, because of noise or what? Yeah, just noise and speed and timing. Look at that. So the next thing that I, uh, I I got another item from John as well. I do have a question about the Y cable. Can you, uh, I, you know, I plugged the uh, disc controller or or an SDC in the end. Could I actually use one of the other, um, like have the disc controller as the second or, or the first one and then the SDC as the second one? And is it? automatically selectable with that uh, Y cable? No. No, you have to have uh, software to change it? No, you have to have hardware that'll let you actually yeah, do both at the same time. Hardware. So, yeah, yeah Y cable is good for, like, you've got a disk controller and a serial port. Okay. Because they have their own unique address I.O. space. They don't okay. conflict with each other. But two disk controllers will argue at the same time on the same cable as to who's doing what. I'm going to tell you to go format a disk. Which one gets it? Both? One? 
Neither. <laughs> Neither. All of them. I haven't I haven't plugged it in yet, but I figured I would ask sometime, and that this has seemed to be the right time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, cartridges that are not slot specific. Okay. Uh, they don't they don't care. So usually, like your sound card or serial card or something like that. So I could plug in um, the sound and speech pack alongside the um, SD card, the SD. That should fly. Uh, those both have ROMs. Mm -hmm. Would that work? Shouldn't it? Yes, it works. Works. Okay. Speech sound and the Coco SDC on a Y cable works for me. Okay. Which which ROM takes precedence then? Uh, the uh, the uh, SDC. I don't think the speech does the speech sound have a ROM in it that it boots. Oh no, maybe I'm thinking the yes. Arc ninety. Well, maybe I'll try it then and see if there's any blue smoke. All right, it won't hurt. It just might not work. Okay. Yeah, All it right. just might. Yeah, it, it shouldn't blow anything up. It'll just the speed. Oh, yeah, the, the speed. Yeah, the speech sound and the Coco SDC work fine on a, a Y cable. The, so, the and uh, the orchestra. Orchestra ninety. I don't know about. I haven't tried that one. Yeah, it's got its own separate ROM for that whole uh, music language thing compiler but they got on there. So, but doesn't an RS two thirty two also pack? Neither of mine have ROMs in them. Some do. Yeah, some most people don't. I know that have RS two thirty two ripped the ROM out because that that terminal <laughs> program sucked. Anyway, Brian, continue on. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so the, other, derailed you. The, the other thing that I got from uh, uh, from Ron was this here. Do you guys recognize this? You probably can see the see it on there. Dragon Plus. Yep. This is the Dragon Plus board there that he uh, that uh, um, when we were doing the uh, review of the pictures from the uh, Dragon uh, uh, get up there. Was it uh, uh, Kiernan that was uh, with us talking about some of the different yeah. boards and stuff? This is one that he kind of talked a little bit about. Um, when you order the kit from uh, from John, he sends you a whole bag of stuff. About as much soldering as uh, Bob might have to do there. But uh, anyway, right. <laughs> so you got a whole slug of sockets. Mm -hmm. This is why I will never order one of these. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, all the chips come with it as well. So I don't know if you can if it can focus in or not. Let's see here if it will. Oh, it, it's not focusing very well. Is that Shine a high chip? Well, the ROM chip, yeah, it has a smiley face sticker on it. I thought that was kind of cute, but anyway, so. <laughs> no, I mean, does, is the processor a, a 6309? Uh, no, this, a, is a, the, this isn't a processor chip. It's, I'm not sure what the chip it's is. It's a Hitachi chip, the, isn't it? The display. It's the uh, 6845. So. Yeah, that's a, that's the uh, video chip, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because the Dragon a... Plus board gives you a second video output. Um, this uh, is an add-on board, not a, not a Dragon replacement. Correct. Oh. Yep. Well, yep. So this I, gets I, this 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 gets added in, and it gives you an eighty column <laughs> uh, output, so you can have two monitors hooked up at the same time. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Curtis, but it works within like OS nine and stuff like that. You yep. Can, there's drivers there's you driver. can actually drive both screens simultaneously with completely different outputs. Yep. So and it also gives you some. Uh, I think uh, it does something with the memory. It frees up extra memory and also gives you a RAM disk as part of this. Would that be like a slash T three? Well, I'm not sure. What's yeah, I'm not sure on a OS nine? No, that's a terminal port. Oh, like an RC32 pack type thing. Oh, okay. This is an actual video chip. It's using the same 6845 was used in quite a few machines that had 80 columns, like some of the terminals used to buy. Um, didn't some of the Model 380 column cards have this too? Maybe even some of the Apple ones. I can't remember anymore. Quite a few use the 6845. 
but he sends it with all the instructions and everything on how to assemble it. I, I won't pull them out though, but he sends everything and it's all online as well. When you go out to his website, um, I'm not sure if he has the sale going or not. Um, he did have advertised on the site there that he had 5% off everything, but I think that might that have only expired been the end through. of Halloween, uh, yep. October 31st. Yeah. So unless he extended and it and I missed it. Yeah, and I haven't seen this extended it though, but still, this is a pretty reasonable price project though. You get everything here for about sixty-five bucks, so it's not a not a terribly priced project for everything that's here. So, except all the time taking to solder all that crap. <laughs> which, I think which you're I, not going to do, only comes, right? And this only comes as a kit though. I don't believe he offers this as an assembled board. Right. So. It wouldn't be sixty-five bucks if he had to solder it together. Right. Yeah. It's just like, well, his Sprite board, he offers the Sprite, I think, in three different options and stuff as far as, you know, fully assembled um, or just the kit. And I think there's a, another version of it as well um, uh, that he offers it. Maybe it's without the case or something like that. So, but uh, so some of the stuff he does solder together. So how, how does that attach to the motherboard? Um, there's a, it, uh, there's a, there's a header row that's here and it fits into one of the, uh, I believe the, the video chip. And then there's also a ribbon cable here that, that goes into one of the ROM sockets, I believe. And uh, it, it's oh, it's a, not it's labeling a, for Dragon SAM, so I'm assuming it must plug into the SAM chip socket at some point, too. Yeah, and so it, uh, it, it sets on top of the daughter board that sets on top of it all. I'll, uh, when I get it all together, I'll probably pull out my Dragon, and obviously I'm going to test it, though, but uh, I can bring oh, it back on the show yeah. there and, uh, and show it. So um, I'd like to see that. How does that hover over the other board without... You know, shorting anything out or anything. Well, it stands it's, up on a socket. Yeah, it stands up on a socket there, so it's 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 above the everything else. It's plugs in a lot like the um, uh, like the Coco VGA or the Coco DVI uh, solutions do. Okay. Um, the next thing I want to show you here. Um, some of you may have seen this offered out on eBay, and uh, oops, let me get it out of here. And we have several guys. Uh, um, Rick has done a solution, and Mike Rojas has done a solution. Um, but there's a company out there that is making replacement mylars. Brand new uh, replacement mylars here. Let me back up a little bit. This one's for the Coco 2. They don't have one for the Coco 3, but this is a, a Coco 2 uh, replacement mylar. Um, I, can, I should have gotten the, the link together. Um, if you do a search for Coco 2 on eBay um, and you scroll far enough, you're going to find... Uh, uh, you're going to find this here. Oh, here it is. It's uh, Retro Fusion. They're actually out of Australia, Mr. Nick Morantes. Oh, right. Never heard of them. So, yeah, it's not even Maverick, is it? No, it's not. No, it's a different company. Nah. There's a separate company. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but it looks like it's hole for hole. Um, oh, what's the um, group of things at the end there on the left side? It's just where the fold over is because the Mylar, it's three layers folded together. And that's just where the that's just where the fold is at. Oh, okay. I got you. So is it like exactly like it or is it, you know, do they have close. their own little. I, I think that is a replica of the, of the, the Mylar that was in there. Cause it's three layers folded together. Mm -hmm. I did ask them if they have a Coco three solution and they said that this took them seven months to develop. And uh, they said it was quite costly. And they said, depending on how well these sail, whether or not they would uh, pursue a Coco 3 Mylar replacement. There's a reason I did it the way I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of curiosity, do you know what the cost is of this? $24. $24. Yeah. 
24 95. Oh, that's, that's not that bad then. Oh, I thought it was 24 good. or 34 95. Wasn't 24 35 or I can't remember. It was one of the two. So it's going to be that unit one price that yeah, is a killer. killer. Yeah. Right. yeah. Shipping 78 bucks. Uh, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It took, uh, uh, I can't remember what the total bill was. I'd have to look and see here if you guys want to go and install and talk really slow here for a second as my thumb moves quickly across the well, screen. I was um, let's wondering. see here. It was uh, 30 total was, let's see here. Where's the and how long did the shipping take for you? Like a month or a couple weeks or? 10 days. From Australia. Well, that's not bad at all. Yep. It sat in Australia for about three days and then it came across the ocean. I think like in two days, sat in California for a couple of days. And then it only took a couple more days to get from California to where I'm at. So it was and a uh, couple, couple of days to dry out. Um, the total. <laughs> so, yeah, this was uh, the item was 3146. So I was off the top of my head. Shipping was 25. My total bill was 59 and change so that's not horrible bad. i guess so but anyway i just i, I like to, whenever i see it regardless of, of who it is and stuff like that i still like to support efforts in the, within the community so i want to pick one up and um, so would you say that's a light blue what color is it i don't know kind of a light blue green so probably whatever they had okay let's see here nice. so that's uh that's something new so let's grab something old here. So with this here, I'm hoping that maybe somebody might recognize this and can give me some information. I've not been able to figure out exactly what this is on the on the the, the piece of tape here that was holding it. It, it it's hard to read because it's all faded out, but it looks like it's saying high res stereo sampler is what is what I'm, I'm kind of high res stereo sampler. And I don't know if anybody recognized this. It says in the corner here, it says Delta 1. On the ROM chip here, it says Delta IO. But I can't find anything else. I've looked around. It does say here, it says Lucas Industries 2000 over in this corner right here. Um, let me zoom in a little bit. Uh, Rick, uh, don't cringe or Bob at the soldering here because there's a lot of unwashed solder flux on here so um but and a whole bunch of crisscrossy bodge wires it looks like it was ready to be mounted into a case so i'm not sure if this was a project that was done at some time um I it's, it, it says high-res stereo so i wonder if it was like this might have been some sort of audio input there is a couple cables over here that were that are labeled it says uh what does it say there uh, Maybe an LED. Um, it says, it's like it says, like phones, like headphones or something like that. And there's oh. the word audio here. So I don't know if this was something for maybe doing some sort of audio sampling on the Coco. Are those MIDI sockets? Um, They are a six. I think MIDI is MIDI just that five. Joystick? Yeah, it, might be, it might be a joystick. Um, I, like I said, it was kind of. Because it says high res, it's hard to read it, but I, I mean, someone, a... someone's writing was really bad here, so I don't know. It's like high res. I'm not sure if this is stereo. Like sample. I if it was sounds sampler, like a. Or... Yeah. It might be an audio recording. Yeah, a I stereo recording. A it uses the uh, left there. and right. Yeah, it uses the joystick ports. Yeah, so basically, it's a sample. six bit uh, 
analog to digital converter kind of thing. Where you can talking. read, you can read two microphones off the each one off each joystick port and record in stereo live. I'm guessing. What's the I, haven't, function I haven't plugged the... it in or not because uh, some of these wires are really close. So I want to kind of tone everything out before I go and plug this into a Coco. I don't know. It, it there might be its own ROM, maybe so it has its own software. So when maybe it boots up to a menu, would you make it self-explanatory? Um, yeah, I mean, you can dump uh, the ROM and see if there's any obvious text in there that kind of. Yeah, I was. I thought about doing that saying. just to see if there was anything uh, on the ROM there. I do need to. I do have my ROM thing here, so I can probably read it. I just don't know if anybody recognized this or had any. Idea. I do remember I was... reading about some stereo sampling cards that could actually read, and there's a modification. The York 90, you could change one of the eight-bit outputs to an eight-bit input, record an eight-bit. Um, since it's going through the joystick ports, it would be six-bit in this case, I would guess. So they don't have anything separate. It looks like, but. Uh... I'm guessing they, it's a six-bit, you know, read the analog signal, convert it to digital. The ROM would probably give you, like, sampling rates or whatever else. And I wonder you could if record Dave, Danielle wouldn't know. I don't know. What's the uh, big chip? Yeah. This one? Yeah. It's the part number on that one. Usually the big chip has the... Uh, I see some op amps on there, too. It looks like it's ML2259 CCP. Or an eight nine twelve eighty nine twelve. Nineteen eighty nine. The manufacture date. Yep. That's pretty late, actually. That's Coco three era. Well, probably needed a Coco three to do stereo recording. Yeah, because I mean, if you have to like do the whole PIA sampling thing, unless this head does that on its own. What's the uh, logo for the manufacturer on it? Can you tell? So that chip is an eight bit AD converter this uh, yeah okay that's kind of what i was thinking that would so, be, uh, this, if, it's, if it's focusing here this just says delta one right here we're just above my finger and then on Which the matches. back here did you google it not yet no yeah. i just was looking like in the rainbow archive it's probably not going to focus very well here but this just says lucas industries 2000 is all this says right here so that name does ring a bell it does yeah Lucas Industries? Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if this was just something that they made all these boards and then like, whoops, we screwed up. So they had to do a we whole bunch to of fix uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to make a bunch of new boards. It costs us too much money. So fix what we got or something like that, you know, but uh, yeah. look, looking at the IO, it was obviously a lot of handwork. So yeah, sure. Why not? No silk screen. Guy had him made himself. There's a Lucas Industries in Vermont. So, well, if anybody I mean, I guess it came with no manual whatsoever. No, this is all I had was just uh, this in a in a static bag here. So, um, I haven't been able to locate any any information yet or a, or a manual that might have been with it. So, so anyway, I just thought I'd uh, throw that out there. Maybe someone might have uh, remembered. I I just did a quick search on the um, uh, on archive.org in the rainbow, and. Um, really didn't get a whole lot of hits. I mean, there was some sampling stuff that was out there, but I think it was more software-based versus... Um, yeah, the only hardware one I remember was the StudioWorks uh, stereo 8-bit input that was from uh, Bleak Tribe, the same guys that did like uh, the 3D Marble Madness and uh, the 7th Link games and stuff like that. They actually had a hardware uh, audio recording solution that they... I'm trying to remember the name of it now. 
because uh, they, they sold a software version that actually went through the six bit. Then they also had a hardware eight bit version that would record and you could actually see the waveforms on the screen and mix them together and cut and paste them and all kinds of stuff. Cocoa three only program. Okay. Mm-hmm. Studio well, works. Have... Studio works. That's what was the name of the big tried one. Okay. Well, if I find some more about information about it, I'll share. Or like I said, if I get a chance to tone this out and find out nothing's really shorting out, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this into a, uh, cocoa, but I mean the the ROM. If I get that dumped, I should be able to do that through a um, um, an emulator. Then possibly right. bring it and, up. So, and we know the hardware now is an eight bit AD converter with two channel multiplexers, so it is stereo. Okay. In the hardware, so no work on the cocoa's back. It should work really nice. And then, as far as the the inputs go, if it's using the left and right joystick, it's probably maybe just read. I guess I, I might be able to tone this out too, but it might be just feeding in the analog across like the, the, the X axis or the Y axis. I mean, right. all the, all the pins are pretty much soldered together or soldered on here with these wires. Which here. means, of... which means that cartridge could be and also used as an eight bit, ma- um, eight bit DAC mouse. Yeah, technically. True. You want right, software you got... to, dri- to read it as a driver. Mm. So, but like I said, maybe, uh, if I can fire this thing up, it might be all menu driven. It might be self-explanatory too. So, but uh, anyway, well, maybe more to come. Cool. Did, did you say you haven't, is. you haven't plugged it in yet? I haven't yet. I, when I saw how no. close all these wires were and I saw some of this back here, I wanted to kind of try to tone a few things out and just make sure there's no surprises. And I don't go and short, short something out on the, on the cocoa, but well, uh, just remember the guy that soldered that probably soldered 57 of them that day. So it may be <laughs> sloppy, but he was really good at it. You know? <laughs> so there's the, there's the something old. So, and uh, I guess for something blue, just to kind of keep up with the theme here. Um, yeah, let me back up out a little bit here. There we go. Yeah, that- Yep, I picked up a set of discs here on the on on, uh, on Gantlet there. So, I really did like these sleeves. I thought they were I thought the, the sleeves were neat. So, is that Gantlet two or Gantlet the original? Two. two. Okay, yeah, two. Cocoa three only one. So, and I, I guess I'm going with the blue because the labels were blue. So, <laughs> and then I just have one more thing to share with you guys, and this this one's going to fall into the category of. You pay for what you get. So let me bring this here over. Oops, I've got the cord here. Let me get this cord off. Ooh, well, I wrapped it up good. Come on, let go. It's not wanting to let go here. Hold on, sorry about this. Ooh, there it goes. Okay. Trying to tangle myself up here. Okay. We all know what this is. Yep. Multi-pack. Good old multi-pack. The original here. gray one, yep. Yep. So, and uh, this was out. I, I picked this up. It was uh, like, uh, I'll just say very inexpensive out on out on uh, eBay there. And uh, they had a buy now. And so my finger impulsively hit it. And so, <laughs> but like I said, it was a low price. Well, for starters... There was no screws holding the cover on when I received it, so that was one sign. The screws and various other things were just laying inside 
So I, they were actually rolling around inside there. I put them in this baggie, but everything was just kind of rolling around the cover for the transformer and everything. And uh, to continue the, you pay for what you get, uh, the button was missing off the switch, but I have some of these buttons there, so that's not a problem. Let me roll this in right about here. Do we have a drum roll? No. And, uh, Something's in the top connector. Uh, okay. Anybody see what might be missing? Yeah, there's a chip missing there. Oh, the pal. What's that? The pal chip's missing, so the this thing's not going. This is not going to work <laughs> at all. Well, so. for it cost you three or four bucks to fix it. Well, I, I agree though, but I like I said, it was just one of those <laughs> things where you you kind of like I said, you pay for what you get type of situation there. So. No, 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 you pay for you got it really cheap. I don't, if all it needs is a pal chip. You got it really cheap. And I think I actually have a pallet chip I need to go dig through, but but the but the, the board wasn't even screwed down in there. So I don't know if somebody was trying to repair this or I'm not sure exactly what the story is. Right. But uh well, the but important anyway. thing though is these can always be repaired. Every chip is available. There's nothing that's proprietary about this device whatsoever. Yeah, it's all TTL logic across. They the are all still fixable, unlike the small MPI, which if it's dead, it may just be dead. Right. So, so this is a win. Silver I MPIs think, are always a win. Don't let them go. I think uh, Mark Marlett has a um, fix for the um, newer. Yeah, I, I think he's yeah. There's because he fixed over. mine without the um, the chips he, needed by made doing making a board or something. The, the, I think he sells the pals too. Yep. Yeah, the pals were for the older ones, and the satellite board was for the newer multi packs. Wasn't that how that worked? Right, right. Yeah, but yep. then there was the custom ASIC chip, which unless Mark's got the ASIC chip. Can't be um, gotten. No, it's, but he, he made up uh, a way to, around it. Cool. And then merch your man. Mm -hmm. So one one thing to watch on eBay, I saw a listing for a Coco for like 60 bucks or so. And I said, that sounded great. I looked at the fine print and he won $120 for shipping. Yeah. Yeah. That's the old eBay scam. That way they get all the money because eBay takes seller fees out of the price. Well, yeah, actually, they take that. Fee they but did the fix shipping, that. you get to keep all. Well, you used no, to get to keep all. No, no, they fixed, they fixed that, that years ago. Yeah, okay. that that you, they take money out of the shipping too, but people still do that, and I don't understand why. It's right. just a way to rip people off because you're, you're like, oh, I'm getting a good deal. Oh, wait, oh. how much did I pay for shipping? So, so you offer the guy local pickup, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, but yeah, eBay, you do have to kind of watch what's out there. There was a guy, and I hope this isn't one of your stories, Curtis, but there was a post on Facebook. Um, a guy posted a picture saying, why is there a Coco 3 keyboard in a, in a Color Computer 2? And if you read down through the article, unfortunately, there was, an e there was a Color Computer that was out on eBay. And it, at first glance, it's like, ooh, 59 bucks starting bid for a Coco 3. I'm going to jump on that one. And I don't know what the bidding went up to. I think maybe it was like 150 or $160. And the guy was probably thinking that he got himself a good deal for a Coco 3 until he received it and found out that it was just a Coco 3 or a Coco 2 with a Coco 3 keyboard in there. If it's um, what I'm thinking of, it's actually a deluxe one. It had the black background instead of the gray, right, didn't it? Right. It Someone yeah. had just swapped out the keyboard. But right. And don't assume. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, if you if, if had he looked a little closer and scrolled through the pictures, the, the seller did have a picture of the bottom of the um, of the computer, and you could tell by the model number and everything that it was not a, co a color computer three, though. But I mean, uh, uh, 
you know, to his, uh, to his benefit, I guess, you know, at first, uh, at first glance, you know, it may have just, it's like, Ooh, cool color computer three, but yeah, there's a, you really got to uh, watch what you're doing out there on, uh, on eBay. Cause uh, there's some people out there that are, um, I, I don't think they're trying to be scrupulous though, but there's obviously what I want to say, um, sellers that aren't aware of what they have. They just come across something at an auction or whatever, or somebody brings something into their store and they're just going to flip it. They don't know what a color computer, you know, color computer right. two from a color computer three is. And, uh, they put it out there. So, you know, you have to educate yourself a little bit, but, uh, yeah. Especially if they use vintage and rare. Right. Yeah. Well, vintage. and that's where the, the current market really messes us up because these guys, they don't know what it is. So they search for it on eBay. Someone sold one for eight ninety nine. Okay, that's my price, eight hundred ninety nine bucks. Yep. No idea what it's worth or anything about it. And so, yeah, it's up to you to decide what you're looking at. Yeah. If I see a if I see a color computer two that's just way up there in price, I have I I reach out to many of those sellers and I just say, I'll say something along the lines of like, is there something I'm missing here with this listing? Because this is a color computer two, not a color computer three. They're two totally different machines. This is really only about a hundred dollar machine that you're selling here, and uh, they, sometimes they'll respond back and say thank you. Other times they'll just say, "Well, you don't if you don't like it, don't buy it." If you... <laughs> and sometimes they just ban you from bidding. <laughs> then they ban you from bidding. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> Brian, do you have the slider um, for the switcher? You know, oh, yeah. right. Just hit the. Yep. Do you have that? That's, that's more valuable than the whole multi pack. You have the switch. <laughs> oh, good. Yep. So. Can you loan anyway, me that switch so I can 3D print it? What's that? Oh, wait, I had the big one. I need the little one. Never mind. Oh, you need the little one? Okay. So, well, that's all I got, guys. But, uh, good finds. I want. That's the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> you wish, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nick, did We're you see your one and only? Not to change subjects, but real quick, uh, I don't want to dominate too much time, but, uh, Nick, did you see your one and only fan out there on Facebook? <laughs> yeah, yeah, one and only. <laughs> <laughs> How much did that cost you, Nick? <laughs> there, was, there was a guy out there that what was it? Donut, Donut Dilemma and one other game that he Group of uh, Rhythm. That, Group Nick's of most rhythm. hated yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Apparently he lives in my, my town. I can't remember him. Yeah. How much yeah, did you did. pay him? <laughs> Top secret. He needed right. a fender for his uh, car. <laughs> you, Nick, Nick wrote it off as part of his advertising budget, I think. So, <laughs> All right. We're ready for commercial break? Or do you want me to do my quick three upcoming shows announcements, then a commercial break? Yeah, let's go and do that. Just to clear that out of there. Okay. Three, okay, five. so... First of all, it was the uh, Vintage Computer Festival SoCal, Southern California, February 17th to 18th, 2024. And that's at the Hotel Fair Events Center in Orange, California. So that one we've been mentioning for a while. Uh, next up, since we're past handy assembly and a few other things here, I thought I'd start getting the, the upcoming other ones coming up. So next up is the 32nd annual Last Chicago Cocoa Fest, one of the most inappropriately named fests ever until next year, um, which will be on... <laughs> May 4th and 5th, 2024, at the Holiday Inn and, and Suites in Chicago, Carol Stream, same place as last year. And uh, has, has the uh, the room's been blocked out with the cheaper rates already? I can't remember. Because uh, Grant was supposed to be on, but he's been sicker away lately, so I'm not sure if that's already or not. Does anybody here know from the Glenside meeting or something? 
I believe he said they were a couple of shows back, but it's worth asking, I guess. I was thinking that as well. I've got it on my list that I should be doing it, so I assume that I wrote that down for a reason. So. Yeah. Mikey is saying that the Tandy Assembling Gathering is has not started yet, 2 p.m. Pacific at San Francisco State University. I do know that there was a post on the uh, the TRS-80 Discord as of last weekend that they were sold out, and if they have any more people show up, it's going to be breaking fire marshal code. So basically you can't get in if you don't already have a ticket. That's why I didn't bother mentioning it today. Hopefully we'll get a kind of a report and some photos from Mikey and some others, though, later on. And then the third one that just got announced this week is uh, Boat Fest number three, which is the uh, one run by the Amigos in Hurricane, West Virginia. That's June 14th to 16th. And Social Event Space, which is a different venue. It doesn't have creaky stairs that you have to crawl up, if Ken, Ken remembers. <laughs> um, this You just walk in through the front. It's a little bit bigger. It's not too far. You can actually see the old location from where it is. Uh, but it's a bit bigger of a venue, and it's all on the ground floor. So uh, tickets are just started going on sale for $30. Bucks. Um, they're waiting for some hotel blockages there, too, because that particular hotel that we stayed at, I think if you go there during a weekday, it's like $86 a night. And if you go there on the weekend when Boatfest says it's $239 a night. So uh, they're waiting to block some off to get a bit of a discount. So that's the other one coming up. And then the full version of the poster, if you want to go here, if you need any more information, you go to boatfest.info for that one. And that's that's a more of a retro gaming themed. I mean, they do have a lot of you know, hardware and stuff. And Frank's usually there uh, with Retro Rewind doing upgrades and fixes and stuff for a variety of machines. So that's all there too. Anything you want to add, Ken? You've been to Boat Fest, and it's probably fresh in your mind. Uh, don't trust your um, uh, your your phone to tell you where you're going in that town. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it actually has signs right in the town not to yep. use GPS because. It doesn't work within their town. Yep, it does have that too. <laughs> they also have a really good pizza place that's fairly nearby oh, this really place. Really good, yeah. Yeah. So, are you and Ken looking at going again? I think so. Possibly, yep. Yeah. As, as long as it's the money's there, and I won't know that until a few months beforehand, but should be able to. It's fun though. It's if you want to see a lot of retro game machines, they bring out stuff like Vectrixes and all kinds of you know rarer machines too so and there's a kind of a flea table where people can kind of just bid i mean ken you bought a few things on that didn't you yeah so, so you can pick up some pretty the, cheap yeah got an auction um there's also a free table of stuff that people just bring to give away and yep. it's there's also like a yeah and there's game competitions you get to play against other players some yep. modern games some older games and a variety of machines including coco's that's where I got that Dragon magazine I've shown on the show before, too. Actually, one of the people that came in from England came and gave me that as a free gift. I was not expecting that at all. And that's that's the shows I have upcoming so far. Okay. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. <laughs>
everyone, it's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo Aaron, joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wapke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, TJB Chris, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom S, and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Scalabjorn says, Greetings all, I'm Richard S., Games Modder, Twitch and Kick Streamer, Voice Actor, Viking Reenactor and former employee and store manager of a few Radio Shacks long back in the day. The Coco One was my first home computer in my high school days, with LCB. Eventually moving up to a full system with a Coco 3, drives, modems and tons of games. Been a very long time since I have had my hands on a Coco, and having found the archive, the Coco bug has been rekindled. Cheers all. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played the Halloween version of Ghost Rush. We had a total of 23 players. They were Charlie 280, Damon Beals 350, Lily 370, Ed Rhodes 380, Henry the 3rd 390, C. Duras 400, Mark B. 430, Grant B. 470, Mr. Dave 6309, 550, Gummy Bear 560, Jim Rye 580, Rich N. 610, Tasman 620, L. Curtis Boyle 660, Flutterball 690, tied for 7th place we had Canadian Retro Things and Coconut Bob both with 710, David Craker, 790, Joshua, 840, Buck Owens, 860, Shenley, 930, Sloopy Malibu, 940, and this week's number one score goes to 
Nerf Herder with 1030. Thanks everybody that played, and we'll see you again next week. We should have took bets on that one. <laughs> oh, definitely a good game. Um, it was a, a nice game to get other members of the family involved in, as you'll notice a bunch of people's kids also played. So a, a good way to bring the Coco to a younger generation. Yep. It's a game that's easy to learn. There's only one control a button and hard to master. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. What else is there to say about it other than uh, you just run around in circles and collect dots. And dodge a lot of stuff. Dodge a lot of stuff. Um, evil pumpkin. I did find that definitely the Coco 1-2 version was easier because the hitbox wasn't nearly as big as, like, on the Coco 3, You if you touch the bat, you were dead. Even one pixel. Whereas on the Coco One Two version, you could get away with like slipping in under his wing, or if you got him from behind, he didn't see you. Yeah. So, and the Halloween theme graphics and then even the music's changed a little bit for the Halloween edition. Actually, really makes it Halloween flavored. It's yeah, really well done. And of course, the other game we are playing this week is. Um, Reloaded, uh, uh, Neutroid, you know, yeah, that game, yeah, okay. <laughs> Neutroid Reloaded, <laughs> the game whose name I... shall not be spoken. <laughs> and I kept thinking, uh, Matrix, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Matrix Reloaded. I've nicknamed it uh, Neutroid Regurgitated myself, but yeah, <laughs> it is, it is muchly improved. I, I yeah, is, haven't actually had a chance to play it yet, but. I'll be buying it uh, later today. So, Nick, watch out for my uh, purchase. I want my copy. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely makes more sense now. Yeah. Um, huge, huge improvement, honestly. Yeah. It's easier to wrap your brain around the fact that you're not controlling the the uh, Neutroid dot or whatever. Uh, you're controlling everything. Or you're you're controlling how it moves by changing the walls or whatever the maze. The maze. Yeah. The grid. The grid. Yeah, that's a good word for it. <laughs> well, that's the proper word. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Okay, the proper word is a good <laughs> word for it. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Nick, I didn't get a chance to even watch the game live challenge much this uh, past day because I was busy. Um, did you Me manage neither. to make it by for the officials? <laughs> no, nah. it's just it's a bad day for me that Thursday that you have it on. So yeah, I can never make it. Yeah. So it's it's definitely working having it that day. But supposed to reveal that secret yet, Ken? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it, it took hours of planning to figure out when to have it. Um uh yeah, a few people played it. Um I don't think everybody had their copies of it yet, so come on, people, get your copies. Yeah, I've sold a few copies this week, so thanks yeah. to all those people uh Supporting my uh, humble efforts. <laughs> I got, got, I, yeah, I got mine. 
Easy for you to say. You yeah, got the download. Yeah, the like CD a... apparently. Yeah, it's it's coming. They I checked the uh, Kunaki website to make sure they got it. So they've got I'm it. still not They're sure I'd use humble and Nick in the same sentence though. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. I'm not sure that Neutroid is going to be a game that brings the family together as much as Ghost Rush. But... <laughs> It'll be no, like having a, a Thanksgiving dinner with opposite political parties in your family. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, I think uh, Bob Bob had it playing in the background when he first started the show. Yeah. Um, hey. yeah. And I think he's about to Product placement coming up, folks. Yep. That's right. But uh yeah, definitely. Um it was uh a lot of fun there. I mean, a lot of us were playing Ghost Rush. A couple of a couple of were playing uh Neutroid, so I don't think anybody strayed actually from the games of the week this week, so they held yeah. our interest. And here we go. If you look at Bob's screen, you can see Neutroid starting up. Whoops. Oh, nope. <laughs> see, even he would rather look at his desk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking of you there, Curtis. So you, you have both the items that uh, are like kryptonite to you. Neutroid and the soldering iron. Yeah, like, like that looks like a death trap over at Bob's place there for me. It's the beginning of a new video that. game. <laughs> I was just thinking about that thing we were talking about during the pre-show, uh, the the uh, film of the just paint drying for ten hours. Yeah. That are you saying that's what it's like to watch Neutroid play? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the that's a secret. What's a secret? It. Well, he's just going back and forth, and it happens to be hitting them all just right. Yeah, sometimes you, you can get the timing just right. You, yeah, sometimes you get that timing just right. For a short while, anyway. Yeah. So I I do have to say that I'm looking forward to, uh, when I get a copy of this, to trying it out, because it looks like it's going to be, sorry, Nick, but infinitely more fun than the other version. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And if you want to get your copy, you can get uh, the physical copy itself, which actually comes on a nice full-color DVD jeweled case and the whole shebang. Or you can get the digital download. If you get the the actual jeweled case copy, you get the digital download, so you don't have to wait for it to ship. You get that at nickmorentes.com. Oh, thanks. Neutroid reloaded, now with more fun. (laughs) You don't even need the word more there. Just fun. Now with fun. <laughs> <laughs> and the artwork on the on the jewel case is really cool too. Nick did a nice job of laying that out. Yeah. Better than the game, all right? <laughs> <laughs> you should have had Einstein on one side and Isaac Asimov on the other side to kind of tie them at the Radio Shack ads we had back in the early. I was line. thinking of that actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But definitely support Nick's efforts. It's it is yeah. actually this this version is a really good version of Neutroid. It's 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 now superior to the Model One version. I could not say that on the previous ones. 
All right. Well, I don't think there's anything else to say about uh, either of these games. That uh, so we will talk about our live show. I will mention it. It worked on a Coco One, Two, or Three, and Sixty Four K. Okay. So people know. Yeah, you must have Sixty Four. And it works in the Dragon as well. It's Dragon Sixty Four or Thirty Two upgraded to Sixty Four K. It works even on a Sixty Four K with the uh, with the audio unupgraded. But it's a little bit distorted, the sound, because of that bug in the dragon. But because the sounds are more or less explosions and static and all that stuff, it doesn't matter. You won't even notice. (laughs) 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 It's a bit whiter of noise than usual, I guess, is what he's saying. Yeah. Noise is noise. All right, so this was our uh, live gaming session on Thursday night. Um, as you can see, a few versions of Ghost Rush going on and one version of um, next game, Neutroid. So, Which one yeah. has more colors? Which one has more colors? Well, also, you can really mess has... with the colors on Ghost Rush a lot. Yeah. Which one has a pause function? The the Coco three version of Ghostbusters actually does have quite a few colors in it, more than I think Neutroid does. Isn't it a sixteen color? Neutroid sure. is 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 eight. Yeah, you you would definitely have more colors than the easier version of Ghost Rush, which oh, only has right. the four artifact. But the Coco three one actually has Coco three enhanced graphics. Oh, it has sixteen color graphics, has it? Right. I think I'm trying to remember if it just did a custom palette with four. I don't remember which. one. I thought it was a custom palette with four. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought he used more than four, but maybe I'm remembering wrong. Did anybody play the Coco Three version on the stream, Ken? Uh, the, I think I'm playing it right in the top corner there. Oh, what weird color palette you got going there? Well, um, you can have four, four foreground and the border. I might not have been. I don't know. Oh, maybe no. I played the Coco Two version this week. It was last week I played the Coco Three version. All right. I was playing the, but I, when I was playing it last week, I had the uh, composite turned on to turn it into well, a pink game. The one, the one <laughs> in the top right must be a Coco Three because you can't have those colors on a Coco Two. Huh. Well, it could be uh, just custom palette settings on a Coco Three, but playing the Coco yeah, Two version. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think they're just uh, four colors um, customized. I played the Coco 3 hmm. version for a little while. During this stream? Yeah. Can you find that, Ken? Just so we can take a quick, quick it was, view. It was early on, and then later I switched when somebody finally told me that the, the file I had actually was the Coco 3 version, the, the 16 color one. All right, I got that the looks Coco like 3 it. version on right now. Okay, I will stop sharing here and we'll look at your screen. So. Definitely, just in the title screen alone, you got. Yeah, that's got more than four. Whoops. Yeah. Oh, let me try that again. <laughs> I don't have a button I can push. No <laughs> yeah, have... that's definitely more than four. And a black border. I love black borders. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be a green border. Oh. Ah. I got my mouse handy. I'll plug that in. You can play this with a mouse. You can play it with a keyboard. What's the keyboard? I think enter. Now, Paul, 
you can play with Paul's a big done red a good button. job. Paul's done a good job with the uh, choice of colours too, even on the Coco 1 and 2, the four colours there. Mm. Overall, it looks quite colourful, like it's, he's done he's done well with the uh, the four colours. Yeah, that's definitely 16 colours, that one there. The red mm. eyes on the back. Yeah, oh, like grey and white right. and the spider webs and yeah, yeah, that one is a 16. Things aren't clashing. That's how you can tell 16 colors. They don't all clash against each other like a... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good one. All right. Well, um, if you want to play more games like this, then uh, join us on Thursday nights at... 8 p.m. Eastern. Okay, 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 o'clock Ken's time. time. <laughs> 5 o'clock my time. That's all that matters. And, uh, yeah. Um, it's. I won't tell you what time it plays here because that's changing over the weekend. So Yeah, it'll be an hour um, earlier than normal. Eh? Yeah, it'll be an hour different for people that don't change their clocks. It'll be the same time for those of us that do change the clocks. Well, no, because like, not everybody changes the clocks at the same time either because I think they said there's a week right. that the people in the U.K., <laughs> Are going to be on the new time and it switches oh. back because they switch later. Please, ah. people, just get just, your governments to shut the no. stupid thing off. Don't do any more of this daylight savings crap. Keep them all the same. Yes, it confuses me. It just confuses me to no end. And and being as somebody that came from a place that we never changed our clocks and moving to a place where we do, it is the absolute stupidest thing. <laughs> I yep. agree. It's dumb. It's really stupid. I. I... I hate it every year. I, I was actually I, reading an article today uh, on that, and apparently a lot of the states have already voted in favor of doing the change. Whether they stay on daylight or, or stay in regular time is up to them. But basically everybody's pretty well agreed, but there's some federal law done in the 60s that has to be revoked first or changed. Yeah, uh, which will never happen. What, what, what it is is any state can stay on standard time, but if they want to stay on daylight time all the time, then that requires federal approval. Yeah, because they wanted originally they wanted things to be consistent so everybody changed at the same time. There wouldn't be like, you know, Arizona does it this week and Hawaii does it this week. And right. Arizona mm. doesn't. Neither does Hawaii. Yeah, it no doesn't do it at all. Right. Yeah, I, that was really bad examples I picked, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so anyways, next, next Curtis will solder. I, li yeah. I lived in Dallas and I moved to Milwaukee, and those are two separate edges of the same time zone. And it's so screwed up. The things I would want in Dallas are completely different than the thing I would want in Milwaukee. But in both cases, I don't want it to change. Just pick one, damn it. Yeah, just I'll, pick one I'll, and stay with just, it. Yeah. I'll live with just, it getting dark at 4 p.m. I don't care. Just pick something. Yeah. Just get up earlier in the morning. Ugh. They should don't try uh, one year. One year, just have them all the same, just for one year. And if everyone likes oh, no, it. Nobody would switch back. The problem is, is that federal law that they did in the 60s to try to make it consistent as to when like the here, states changed. Here in BC, we've already voted to do it. It's just that uh, we can't do it until the states below us do it. Because Why? That's, an, we, that's a stupid excuse. Yeah. Just do it, it. It's an absolutely stupid excuse. Their excuse is we can't have the time change on the um, below us. Like it, we can't have like be on a different time than the state below us. Even oh. though we're on a different time than half the year from the Yukon, which is directly above us. And that doesn't 
nobody has yeah, any problem no, it's, with it's that. Crap. I mean, Arizona does just fine the way they are. Yep. Saskatchewan just uh, does just fine too. So does parts of Australia, like where Nick is. So like, no, that's just bullshit. Sorry. Anyways, off the political topics of uh, time changing. <laughs> Join us next week whenever this show starts for you. You can even come in the <laughs> middle of it. I don't care. <laughs> Just join us. Turn on notifications on Twitch and YouTube. That's what you got to do. And um, yeah, you can just join us to chat or you can join us to play games, whatever you want. Even just join us in the audience. And on that, for next week, we are going to be playing um, Neutroid Reloaded for one more week. And then a game that was suggested to us by none other than the author of Neutroid Reloaded. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. This game, if anybody... Oh, thank God it's not another one of his own games. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Prospector. Hey, you're not supposed to guess. You already knew what it was. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Well, he didn't guess for them, did he? Okay, who was the original author? There you go. Guess that. From Rainbow Magazine. Yeah, but who was the author? Yeah, uh, I didn't check. <laughs> I will say there's 50 screens on this one. Yep. Hmm. Anyway, since it's already been guessed. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> it's Prospector right. by Lee Chapel. Lee Chapel. Yeah. And we will be playing on regular, not on practice. So. <laughs> and, and this is an assembly language game? Yes, it is. Yep. Yes. Ooh. So, I'm surprised so, this never became a, a commercial game. There's so a we, few, though, like Spacehawks from Hot Cocoa, this one. There's been a few that were commercial quality that they actually published in magazines. Yeah. So it's kind of nice, too, because they one. have, like, an article on it, and it's, you know, here's the assembly language source listing, and here's how the game works. Like, it teaches yeah. you. That was why and I like Here's, how, here's where you key in all those data statements. <laughs> And yeah. this game, this game will run on a color computer one, two, or three, thirty-two k of RAM and a joystick. Yep. And now, unlike I Neutroid, can do it. it does. And for those of you who want to type it in, which issue of Rainbow is this in? Uh, <laughs> December nineteen eighty-eight. If you feel like <laughs> typing it in. Ooh, I bet that one. Oh, here, a take a mallet to your head. Same would thing. It, would it be on Rainbow on disc? Yes. It's yes. also available in the archive. So there yeah. we go. Points equals points plus 10. Now, I will say that the ultimate game challenge will be to type it in with no bugs and, and play it before the two week span is up. If you can do that, you automatically win no matter what your score is. Well, type it in on a colon chiclet keyboard. Yeah, then you can change the scoring algorithm if you type it in. Yes, so. I was about to say that actually. <laughs> we can all cheat. <laughs> I no, I said it has to be the, the fully debugged proper version when you're done, though, with all those mm-hmm. data. Because if it's so not it's... scoring properly or you have more men than you're supposed to, then it is a bug of the original game. Because yeah. we wrong. can do a binary compare and make sure it's matching. But I want to see video footage of you typing the whole thing in, trying to debug it when it starts ah. to crash because you did a couple of typos. Oh, this will just <laughs> be like the paint drawing video. Yeah. <laughs> well, this brings us back to those line summing programs that yeah, they make sure have. your rainbow check is ready in the background so you can periodically exactly. make sure you didn't screw up too badly <laughs> since I, i'm not a big game player or anything but um when uh games are saved off on the archive do, do they sometimes have or, or maybe my question should start with this do a lot of games keep track of high score and names 
first. No. Quite a few do within the play session. Uh, far, far less will save that out to disc, and right. far, far less than that will save it out to cassette. I know like Sailor Man some... did save high scores, for example, but most it's just you fire up the game. As long as you keep playing it, don't change anything else. It'll keep track of some top scores and initials. So just make sure your parents don't right. turn the computer off when you get a yeah. high score and you want to show it to your <laughs> friends. And I remember a lot of games, if you broke out of the game and C saved it, it would save the high scores. Uh, was that yeah. Coco or Sinclair? I don't remember. But there were yeah. there were things you could do it, but no one ever did. So I started to ask if, um, if you save... Uh, you know, you play your game and you save it and it still has your scores and stuff. And then you wind up uh, sending it to the archive. Then the archive winds up with your, um, <laughs> yes. file, your names you of, you know, uh, uh, Sailor Man or, uh, you know. Well, the authors did it. Donna yeah. Bawana, yeah. I think it was another yeah. one that does it. That so, would be then called a hacked version. Okay. Yeah. Even there though. You go. It's not, not a previously a previously played but well loved version. Right. <laughs> so, so would there ever ever be a point where there wouldn't be enough names left? Um. Well, it'll usually only keep well, track of ten scores, and then if you right. if you but, beat it, it yeah, and some only do like five or three too. So, I mean, so eventually, the score, it, it always the just game. drops the bottom score off. It'll only keep track of a certain number. Yeah. So it's like the arcade. You go in, and you'll never hit the high score list because it's ten billion. And my personal yeah. best is eighteen hundred. <laughs> yeah. We reach reach around and unplug the game for a minute. There you go. Yeah. That's how I beat my brother in some of the games because when he would leave the room after beating my score, I'd shut the machine off. And go, no, you didn't. <laughs> he didn't. No. I never <laughs> saw that it. number. <laughs> and and back in the day, we didn't have cameras that you can take a quick picture and prove it because you have to get it developed. Well, of course we did. You had Polaroid. Polaroids. Everyone had a yeah, Polaroid. That's what we did. We always, I always did. I took a Polaroid before somebody yeah. shut the machine off on me. Well, I was going back further, I guess. Actually, Polaroid what I always did expensive. is I, I hooked my computer up through the VCR, and if I was going for a score game, I recorded it. Uh, I wish I still had those tapes, because that would be awesome to be able to right. replay. I did that a lot with my ColecoVision. Well, I can tell you, I did that some of that too, and some of it's really extremely boring. <laughs> because I don't know. I've, I've, you're fast yeah, how popular some of the game streams on Twitch and stuff are, where they play like yeah. six hours straight of a game, and there's like five thousand people watching it live and commenting and stuff. It's right. it's a different world now we're on. I guess. Actually, if you like, still have some of those, Ron, you should put them up on Twitch. You'd probably get, you know, thousands like of hits. Just like if somebody to a... wants to watch somebody solder for six hours. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> well, what I have is stupid things I wanted to uh, do uh, having to do with astronomy. And I would, uh, you know, put a picture of Saturn up or something. And But I didn't have the ability to switch between screens very cleanly. So it would go, you know, and then, and then you would come back to a clear screen then for the next frame. You know, there, there's so that. many different groups of people now that watch YouTube and Twitch, et cetera, that I'm sure you would find an audience even for that. Oh, there's even people that watch this show. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Case in point. There you go. <laughs> it's and not I just mean, us this on the show panel. Goes on and on and on and on. And there's still people here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bunch of video, which is probably useless to most people, but it's of uh, VHS tapes of um, uh, the whole flights of, of the space shuttle, you know, from pre-launch an hour or two before 
to a post-launch an hour or two after on, you know, maybe 60 tapes, you know, on a couple of flights that I was able to do the whole thing. And, um, it, it, you know, some of that is dead time where, you know, it's at night and the astronauts are sleeping, you know, and you just see the earth and the plot of the space shuttle going across to where you'll see it. Uh, I wouldn't the, be surprised uh, if most of that's coming. already on YouTube, Ron. Yeah, it could oh, be. Save that. We can feed it into a holodeck. <laughs> the reason I was able to do that is because I had a, um, a dish, and it was free. NASA was mm -hmm. free. And you could, you know, watch the whole space shuttle uh, flight, you know. And not and encrypted. Just thought, yeah, and I just yeah. thought to myself, well, heck, why, why not just record it, you know, in the future? It would be cool to see. Yeah, I remember I recorded a couple of the early shuttle launches way back in your ladies too, but I don't think I have those anymore. And the other thing I, I remember recording was when um, I think it was one of the uh, Voyagers left and, and went past like Jupiter or Saturn, you know, and they had live uh, video of that feed. And yep. um, that was neat to see. Yeah, I remember seeing it, but that I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to record back then. I would have liked to have seen like the pioneers and then the voyagers and all that doing the feeds back. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting a bit off topic here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> just a bit. Asparagus. So anyway, the two games for next week can are again. Uh, um, the uh, uh, Neutroid Prospector and Neutroid Reloaded. Dip, 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 dip asking me questions after afterwards when I've already forgotten what I was talking about. Jeez, I'm old. <laughs> Give me a break. There's a really? club here. Where am I at? Yeah. Who are these people? And I will now be able to play Prospector in real artifact colors. That's right. I you now, now have, have a Scartar RGB. Yes. There, don't yeah. you? I've got uh, Jason's uh, uh, cable. I bought a HDMI box. And uh, I can now get color or and artifact you, colors. Artifact colors because you're using an NTSC Coco 3. Yes, yes, I do have an NTSC Coco 3. Okay. Just, I just want to clarify, if you don't have an NTSC Coco 3, you're not going to get artifact colors on a switcher brew. No, 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 that's true. So, Nick, are we going to be able to convert you to liking artifact colors? Because you've always hated them. Yeah, I have. Um, well... I don't know about liking him quite, but at least now I can uh, I can look at it properly. I could before, but I had to, you know, pull out the other TV set and hook up because uh, it could do NTSC, and it was just a lot of mucking around. I never did, but now at the flick of a switch of the Bam. what. What do you call your cable, Jason? It's a switch-a-roo, because it has oh, a picture it. of a kangaroo on it. Yes. That's it. Available so from CocoMan.biz. <laughs> shameless plug. Yeah, shameless plug for CocoMan.biz. Call now. Operators are standing by. Yeah. Well, I know I know <laughs> from talking to Nick, he's really impressed with, like, the 80 columns and stuff, how you know, nice and clear it is. It's yeah, funny, because yeah. he did the same thing I did. He forgot to plug in the composite cable for the proper signal. He's going, this looks like crap. That's the exact same thing I, I did. No, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot to plug in the uh, second USB. I, um, what's the second USB used for, Jason? Okay. What the USB is doing is I, I went ahead and made it a USB connector. So, again, we don't have to deal with different power standards and different 
countries, but what yep. it's doing is there's a pin, I believe it is pin 16 on the SCART connector that a SCART display, or in this case, a SCART converter is looking for a one to three volt signal on pin 16. And when it doesn't see that signal, it goes over, it converts the composite video. When it sees that one to three volts on pin 16, that's the RGB. So that's what the switch is switching ah. on and off. That's Well, that explains it because, yeah, when I first did it without that plug, everything was really blurry. I thought, yeah. wow, gee, this this is a pretty shit uh, upgrade, isn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> until I yep. saw the other cable and I thought, mm, I better plug this one in too. Well, that's Bingo. when you look at the instruction manual. That's why I have an instruction sheet with then at the top of the installation instructions. It says all connections must be made for proper operation. <laughs> ah, manuals. Who reads those? I know picky, instructions. Picky, picky. I, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you got it uh, working. Yeah. That's good. That's it awesome. works really good now. Yeah. Wonderful. That's great. Anyway, uh, get the games and play them. Join us on Thursday evening. I should be able to make this one. It was a kind of a special thing I'd go on Thursday. I could make it myself. And if you can't um, make it on Thursday, you can still just play the game, take a picture, and post the score in the uh, Game On Challenge channel. Channel on uh, Discord? Discord. I, I might have what, to what's do the that. deadline again? Because it's kind of moved now that you're kind of in charge again. I think it's a little bit later. Uh, sometime on Friday night. <laughs> when, <laughs> oh, there's no set time. No, there's no set. It's usually whenever I get home. Doesn't okay. have to do with daylight. A half settings, hour after right? I get home. <laughs> Cool. So that's as clear as milk. Yeah. I mean, it's never before eight o'clock my time, which is like 10 o'clock. 11 Eastern. 11, 11 Eastern. Eastern. Okay. So. so no time before 11 Eastern. Good enough. And yeah. Okay. That's later than it has been. So that's good. Well, well that was just when I was in Ontario. I was closing it off a little bit earlier because. Otherwise, yeah, Soupy closes till... off early because he's in the Eastern Time Zone too. So, I would, if not, I was up till two or three o'clock in the morning doing this thing, and I always had to get up Saturday morning. So, makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, ready for news? Sure. Yeah. Game on news first. <clears throat> yep. Okay. <clears throat> Is it? What a cool intro. <laughs> okay, I hope we got the right one here. It's beeping. Uh -huh. Yes, it is. Oh, Next most try. definitely. <laughs> nice and easy. I already had that ah. down in half volume, too. <laughs> actually, I'll just mute it. How's that? Okay, so Jim Gary actually has been quite busy. Um, he's ported a lot of things, and he's done some long play videos and some games and stuff, too. So the first one here is called Electron. Uh, originally ah. by Frank O'Connor, and it's not related to Electron from Spectral Associates in any way, shape, or form. This is originally from the TI-99 4A and from the magazine Home Computing Weekly, <clears throat> September 13th edition, and I believe that was a UK-based publication. So he ported that over to the MC-10, so I'll just fast-forward past all these instructions, because as pointed out, nobody reads them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and we can read part of your desktop, too. Oh, did it share the whole screen? Oh, yeah, I can okay. share the whole screen. This disc, let me fix that. 
This is why you should come to rehearsal. <laughs> no, it just means I clicked the wrong thing. What happens when you play too much Neutroid? What the heck? That actually should have shared properly. Try that again. No, it's sharing the whole screen again, isn't it? Yeah. What the dead burn heck? Zoom, what'd you do? Yeah, so I'm giving I'm me the looking. option to... Uh, I, I think there was a Zoom update here. There was a Zoom uh, update. Yeah. Oh, 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 the wrong version. <clears throat> Curtis is oh. obsolete. <laughs> no, mine updated when I started Zoom today. So I don't Why don't know. you just remove the stuff that's offensive from your desktop and go ahead and show it? <clears throat> Do you want <laughs> crap's on my desktop? I'd have to move. <laughs> Can you just maximize? It's already under the second monitor. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'll just maximize the window, I guess. Let me move my stuff around here. So electron and getting rid of piles of atomic waste and sparks. Did somebody knock off Neutroid in basic? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very Looks possible. Like I've really started a uh, trend here. Everything's atomic. Right. There's the grid. It's even a grid, exactly. <laughs> I like the chat says it looks a lot like poltergeist. You're right, sixty. It does. Yeah, it kind of does. You're right. But can you hold the button in? <laughs> yeah, I'm on this level on, on poltergeist. That's a fun one. So he he does a standard X Y alternating, you know, to simulate legs walking with your hands up in the air type thing character, and you have to pick up the uh, cyan blocks and then dodge the white alien opponents or whatever they are. So that's the first one. Next up, he did one called Watchmen. Now, this is written by Scott Davidson, which was based on the original version by Mac Oglesby from way back in February of 1975. So this predates even the triumvirate of uh, the initial home computers from Apple, to, uh, Tandy, and uh, Commodore. Uh, from Creative Computing, this is the May-June 1978 version that he converted over, as you can see on the credits here. So this is a, a very old one. And basically, because it's that old, it's going to be pretty well text-based for the most part. That's when I was driving my 68 uh, charger. So you see, it kind of draws a map and then labels them, and then you have to punch in your, your what direction you want to move type thing, but then it has to redraw the map every time, because back then, you know, they didn't even have, like, cursor XY on these ancient computers and terminals and stuff back. You're lucky to have a screen, I would guess. You might be playing this on a printer back in 75. So that's a, that's a goldie oldie he ported there. Yeah, the teachers loved you doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember doing that in the Vax and getting in trouble. Uh, next up, he's got Penguino, which is a clone of Pango, which was really for the IBM PC with CJ. And that itself is a clone of the arcade game Pango. And we've got several versions of this on the on the Coco. Um, I've seen some on some of the tape magazines. There's also Pangon by Spectral, Ice Master by Arcade Animation Inc. And Where Else Mutants is uh, kind of based on it from Tomic Software. So lots of them. But this one actually has done quite well, I think, for the MC10. Let's get past the screen here. 
So it kind of does like a maze generation thing for the initial screen. And you can destroy the ice blocks and you pick up the diamonds and you you know push the ice blocks to hit the uh, faces, things, whatever they're called. I'm sure most of you play Peng Pengu at some point or some version of it. In fact, I think we had Wears Mutants on the Game on Challenge not too long ago. Did we can or am I thinking of something else? He's gone asleep. Yeah, I think we did. I was just muted. I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a pretty good uh, low-res version of Pengo, actually. Plays it a fairly decent clip. <clears throat> the next one here <clears throat> is a bit of more of a long play. So he did Excuse me. So the original Star Trek three by Lance Mickelson, originally Lance did have this as an official licensee from Paramount before Star Trek, the motion picture took off. And then, you know, Ratha Khan came out and then they wanted a lot more left for licensing. So that basically Lance had to cancel that. <clears throat> so what Jim has done is he's ported that version of Star Trek three, which is a little bit more primitive than the one we have in the Coco 3.5. So this is based on the original Model 1-3 version uh, from 1978. And this is back when Lance was known as the master of Trek, as he used to advertise it. So he basically did another port, and this would require at least the 20K, if not higher. I can't remember the exact details if it requires a 32K RAM upgrade, but at least the 20. And it is a fair bit of animated graphics that actually shows like shots going back and forth. And he actually did a blog here, kind of going through some of the changes he did from the original version he did earlier, because he has ported this game before, but he wasn't too happy with how the graphics turned out. So he's kind of redid it so that the Enterprise looks a bit more like the Enterprise and, uh, you know, Klingons, he likes the shapes of those better here too. And then he did uh, basically about an hour's worth of actual playthrough here on three separate videos, trying to actually win the game. And I won't play all of that there, but I'll play a little bit just to kind of get a feel for it. But he's got a whole description of what his, his latest changes to it are. That's the same menu you get on the Coco 3.5 version, too. Just the graphics are changed. Here's your long-range sensor scan. Short-range scan, which shows stuff like stars and planets. Here's when you actually are... Oops. Seeing stuff like uh, docked at the space station, etc. So you can find a little bit of animation here for some shooting. This is the game that got me kicked out of the computer lab. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the more sophisticated treks from this time, I have to say. It's kind of like the Super Star Trek, I think, was the base code for that. <laughs> but it's a pretty decent one. If you're into Trek and you got an MC-10, this is, I, from what I've seen, this is by far the best one. So I would highly recommend it. Okay, next up, <clears throat> there's a um, Italian magazine called Retro Magazine World, and they published an article on a game called The Water of Life, which is a basic Dragon 3264 graphics game, originally published by Abacus in November of 82, so early in the Dragon's uh, release in the UK. And this is an original game. It wasn't ported from an American or Canadian or, or Australian one. It's an extended basic, so the ASCII source code, it should work on a 32K extended basic Coco 1 and 2. I didn't see from a quick glance any machine language or, you know, ROM calls or something that might be specific. So if you actually pasted this in, you should be able to convert the game over. 
Now, the translation of the site from Italian, <clears throat> it, it was a bit strange. If I use the translation through Google Translate, because you can actually send a whole page and say, translate the whole page for me. It didn't work properly um, to show the listing. The listing would just show a blank. It was just black space. So this is the original Italian version of the actual article. We try to read the text here other than the screenshots. But you can get the actual listing that you can cut and paste out. So this is the English translation here. Kind of covers the story of the game itself. And it's got some good screenshots. You can see it's, you know, four color, P mode, one graphics, et cetera. Uh, some text status screens, et cetera. But it looks like a pretty interesting game. And here you can see the wipe the listing out. So I haven't had time to actually copy this over, but I would love it if somebody there actually would copy it over. If it's not already in the archive, I didn't get a chance to check. I don't believe it is. Uh, but that would be a good one to convert from the Dragon to the Coco because it's pure basic. It should be just, you know, save it in ASCII and, and reload it in ASCII and you should be good to go. Or, you know, cut and paste the code. The black one's the Mafia version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that looks like an interesting game, though. I, I'm kind of curious about this one. Next up, uh, Ken, you want to talk about this one? I'll just uh, mute it so you can talk away. Oh, okay. Well, um, I see you have a yeah. guest star, too. Absolutely. Um, because we played uh, Lunar Rover Patrol the other week, and when I was testing out my Commodore 64s, I was playing a lot of uh, Moon Patrol. I decided I would compare a couple of the versions of it that were out there. And, Who's the uh, C64 version we're looking at now? Th that's the C64 version. So I thought I'd just see which version had the best port. Those square wheels? Yeah, basically. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Approximately. Right? It's they're, pretty very, rough ride. they're very grippy wheels for the lunar surface. And then uh, I also did the Apple II version. And when, when I saw this beginning, I was going, God, that's so but it speeds up. Yeah. So oh, I had a lot my... of fun re replaying the Apple II version from my childhood. I died a lot, which brought back a lot of memories of playing it as a child. <laughs> the funny thing is, I, I never even saw the Apple II version. This is not one of the games we had pirated. I mean, backed up at school. I had uh, backed this up at uh, actually... Oddly enough, my mom had a copy of it when she was a teacher. Don't know why. <laughs> Bouncing wheels and the whole bit. Looks like a pretty good port. Yep. And then, uh, of course, the Coco version. Which I... Now, uh, oh, What was your criteria? You had a couple things you were kind of comparing against each other to kind of figure out a final. Comparing the um, the gameplay... The like the um the gameplay, the sound, and how close it is to the original version, the, the arcade version. Yeah. Cause one thing you pointed out that I hadn't realized, like I said, I've never played the Apple II version before. I hadn't seen the C64, is that they only have the mountain scene. Yeah. Like they don't alternate the however, city, if you city. get far enough in the C64 version, you do get the hill going up the hill with the rocks, which you okay. don't get in the Apple II version. Oh, okay. Which was pointed out to me because uh I, but I never made it that far because the C64 version ramps up in difficulty very, very fast. And um, it wasn't until I was actually uh, editing the video that I realized why it was so hard. Because when you jump over a crater, the uh, ships above you can shoot at you while you're in the air and the bullet will hit you before you land. So you can't get out of the way. 
Okay. And here you're so showing the palette hack on a Coco 3. Yeah. So it's... Uh, Is that, one I of think those that's how the arcade had it. I don't remember it being that hard in the arcade. I, yeah, I seem to recall... That you could... That yeah. you had the... Uh, um, you could get shot like you could get shot while you're jumping over a while crater, jumping, and yeah. there's nothing you could do. Yeah, yeah, you could on the arcade for sure. But could they? Was it so fast that once you started jumping, they could shoot at you and hit you before you landed? Oh, so you're I already in the thanks. I know. I, I, yeah. I haven't played the arcade game in a while because that happened a lot on the uh, Commodore 64 version. Every time I was jumping over a hole, I would get shot. Because as soon as I started jumping over the hole, they would just shoot at me and kill me before I landed. And there's nothing I could do about it. So it was an insta-death. Uh... Okay. I'll have to try the arcade version again. I mean, I don't remember that. But Now, um, I don't know if you want to reveal the winner or anything. You do have a bit of a bonus clip in the end. I thought I would cover oh, yeah. it a little bit. And that's, that's interesting. Go to the bonus clip because this is a version that's not even listed as a clone, which I found interesting. And it oh, does talk. rewind that. Yeah, they're the yes. only version that talks. I had not seen this. Now, Nick, you were a Tier City Model 1-3 guy back in the day. Did you ever see this version? Uh, what's that one called? I'm not in front of the computer at the moment. Oh, it's called Moon Rover. Uh, this is the TRS-80 Model 1 clone of Moon Patrol, Moon Rover. Moon it does Rover. have the lowest graphics mode and is missing the front shot, so you only jump over holes and shoot stuff in the sky. But... It is also the only version that talks. So enjoy. Hmm. There were about three versions on the Model 1 that I'm aware of. Um, but it's interesting that think... even, like, if you look uh, up the listing and stuff, they don't list any Model 1 versions as even clones of the game. Right. So this isn't even considered a clone of Moon Patrol. That seems a bit silly because you've got the aliens shooting at you. You've got the uh, mountains rocks in the background, the holes. The only well, thing you're they, missing they... is the rocks because you don't shoot forward. The thing is, you probably didn't want to want to say that it was a clone anyway. Back in those days, you might have been. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, but if you look, uh, if you actually look it up, they do have a listing of a number of things that are uh, clones. Like a lot of systems released All right. clones. And a lot of them are even less like Moon Patrol than this one. Like they they uh, they actually listed um, what was the other guy, one by the guy that did Lunar Rover Patrol, the Sand, sand oh, um, Buggy or Desert Patrol or Desert Patrol? Yeah, Desert they, Patrol. Yeah, MG so Lustig. They, he did Moon Hopper and Desert Patrol. They listed that as a uh, clone of Moon Patrol. Or yeah. Now, did you want to reveal who wins, or do we want to let them go check out your video? Well, I. Out of those three, I had to disqualify the Coco because it wasn't a port. It was a clone. So that means that the Apple II won. <laughs> because that seems like silly criteria to me. <laughs> I, I was doing a I was doing a, a official port. port. Yeah, I was I was looking at ports and yeah. See the Coco's so, almost never gonna win because we almost didn't have any ports, especially until the Coco three came well, out. Well, it depends on if I'm doing a a something of an actual port or but i mean we have a lot of games that weren't arcade games like i did the one where i looked at uh seamus and protector 2 and oh yeah if you're talking like computer only games like yeah. not arcade 
That's usually what I do. It's just that I've been playing a lot of Moon Patrol lately, so. Okay. I mean, from looking at the video, and I've never played, well, I've played the Kilometer one, like, briefly back in the day. And I think, didn't they have an updated one they did later that kind of fixed some of the issues? Yeah, it's a lot easier than the original. But didn't they fix some of the graphics and stuff, too, that was kind of wonky? Um, I can't remember now. I think so. I can, can't remember now, but... Yeah, I mean, basically the Commodore one, the reason that the Apple one won was because I didn't have a lot of fun playing the Commodore one because it was just die, die, die. Because <laughs> you couldn't get out of the way of the bullets. Every time yeah. you jumped over something, they'd shoot you and you died. Yeah, that'd be a bit frustrating, I think. <laughs> anyway, go check it out. Uh, he does a pretty good comparison. He compares, like you mentioned before, the graphics, the sound, uh, how close it is to the arcade game. And the Model 1 3 uh, one there from Computer Shack was uh, a bit of a surprise. I would not seen that one before either myself. That's why I was wondering if Nick had seen it. Yeah, I'm back at the computer now, so I don't know if you can pop it up again. Too late. Uh, <laughs> Nick. That's all right. Don't, don't worry about it. Well, Nick, you can just go look at my video. Yeah, yeah, I'll look at the video. It's actually, I played it for a while. It's a pretty fun game. Well, I've got a comment from Kieran here for you, Ken. He says, uh, sounds like you ignored rule one of playing games there, Ken. And he hasn't said what that rule is. So I'm still waiting. Uh, what was rule one of playing Read games? Read the manual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was what he was hinting at, but. Uh, I don't know what rule one is. Have yeah, we'll have to wait. There's a bit of a delay here, so we'll have to see what uh, is Isn't rule says. one have fun? I would figure. Don't, don't die, I thought it was. That is what it is. Oh, don't die. <laughs> <laughs> don't die, yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to die on the Apple version because that's my best memory of playing that game as a kid is the explosion, the wheels going flying everywhere. How else are you going to demonstrate that graphic animation? Exactly. Yeah. It's part of the research, man. <laughs> oh, hey. Oh, it's you fun when you don't die. Okay. <laughs> but what about okay. when you get into those situations where you have no choice but to die because the game is set up that way? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you get yourself into a pickle and then you you feel like I made a mistake, but sometimes yeah. it's the game is just has a hate on for you type thing. It's like all the previous versions of Neutroid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next up, uh, Richard Kelly has released, and it's a little late here because he published this right before Halloween, and of course, you know, Halloween was in between shows. Um, but he did a disc image that he put up on the Facebook Coco group that uh, covers Halloween-themed games, uh, both some of his own, some text adventures he's been working on, some others from T&D software as well. Um, Freddy and Vampire Castle are a couple of them, and they actually require Coco 3 because he's using, I think, the 40 column mode to fit more text on the screen. Anyway, it's a free download. It's called Halloween, H-A-L-L-W-E-E-N dot D-S-K. And you can get that on the uh, file section of the Coco group on Facebook. I'm assuming at some point he'll upload it to the archive as well, so you can get it all in one shot. So thank you, uh, Richard Kelly, for that. Next up is a couple I picked up um, from uh, some stuff that Simon Hardy had helped this uh, website. We covered this website, I think, last week or possibly the week before. It's basically a website dedicated to games that were announced but never released or got partly finished and never released. You know, for some reason it was supposed to come out, but it actually didn't. And we covered one Dragon game 
previously. They added three more here, thanks to research done by uh, Simon Hardy, who we've uh, you know seen on several of our Dragon Meetup shows and stuff. So the three here that are mentioned, there's the first one here by Ace Pack Software, and this is an early one. This actually had originally supposed to come out in 1982, I believe, um, called uh, Drawcaster Australian Pools and Drawcaster British Pools, and I don't know too much more about it. Um, it says here, both titles may have been published eventually by a different company, but more research is needed proof to be found. I've not seen or heard of them anywhere else. Uh, I don't know too much about the games either. There's not too much of a description on that. Um, I'm not even sure by looking at the title of the two games, aside from the nationality, like that doesn't tell me what the game's actually about. Is that like a pool table no. game or swimming or who knows? So that one, there's not too many details. The other two <clears throat> that were added in do have some details. Um, so one was called Eager Edna. This was originally by Cable Software in 1985. And this one actually got far enough to actually being demoed and also written up in Dragon User Magazine. So this one definitely got further along. It wasn't completely vaporware like a promise that never happened. This was a multi-screen game for the Dragon 32 written in machine language in late 1984. It had a new snippet in Dragon User in December of, <laughs> I got 1874 in my notes. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, 1984 should be. Um, and it was shown off at one of the 6809 shows in the UK, and then it was canceled due to, quote, technical issues, quote, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean. I mean, if they demoed it, what technical issues did you possibly have? Um, unless the game... yeah. <laughs> well, you, I, I don't know if you know about that, Nick, because um, you don't have. Bugs. No, no. So I would, I'd be interested to see it. Yeah. And unfortunately, the uh, the clickable links here, the, like you. You can't see anything on the screen there. It's just nah. a mess. And there's a little bit of a new release thing there. And then the final cancellation notice. Um, and it mentions in this particular notice that two other games that were announced by the same company did come out. So out of the three, this is the only one that didn't make it. But canceled due to technical problems. That's kind of copping out, I would think. <laughs> And the last one uh, is a later one, 1987 from QuickBeam Software, which actually did a couple of really good games back in the day. And this was supposed to be a clone of Iridium from the Commodore 64, which apparently is a really good game. I've, I've not played that one, C64. Has anybody on the panel played that one before or knows too much about it? Well, yeah. Iridium by Houston Consultants is a fantastic game on the Commodore 64. I haven't played it in years, but it was very it, cool. It's... So Really good music. It's a flying game. You scroll back and forth, left and right over these different platforms where you've got all these different little missiles that can come out and you've got to blow up all these little targets that are on there. And the whole game is themed around different elemental metals. So you've got coppers and iridiums and things like that. Uh, but yeah, it would have been fantastic to see something like that. And it's kind of sad because Houston did some games for the yep. Dragon that could have been one that they could have brought over. Yeah. Well, from right up here, and for the people that are on audio uh, listening to us here, I'll just read a, a kind of my summary version, not the full description here. But basically, it was announced in QuickBeam Software's catalog in March of 1987, and it may have been shown at a 6809 event in 1988. I don't know if Karen or anybody else here that was in the UK at the time that might have ended these shows might remember seeing it. So apparently, it actually had gotten started. 
Um, reportedly canceled due to the shrinking market for the Dragon. I mean, in, if you're coming out in 88, I mean, that makes sense because the Dragon had been canceled, you know, years earlier. So there wouldn't have been uh, much of a market left at that point. And the original developer that was doing the port, Dave Gibbons, decided to work on 16-bit platforms instead. And I think he ended up with the Amiga and the ST at that point, if I remember correctly. Uh, I do get some stuff in the chat here. So that talking about the pools thing, that is basically betting on the outcomes of football soccer games. So that would have been Australian oh, yeah. betting and, and UK betting, I guess. Yeah. Um, Karen says, you reading him? Yeah, by Andrew Braybrook. You know where he got his start? Dragon programming. So that really was, should have worked out well. And like I said, it was demoed. So obviously it got pretty far along. Um, and and Karen says, nope, only went to ever went to one show back then. Don't remember anything like Iridium, so probably he went a different year, unfortunately. Because it'd be cool to see how, like, if people don't remembered how far along it had got on that port. But I mean, this is the type of stuff. And I, anybody's been watching our Discord, I've been doing you know further research on games that came out in mid '83 now, and I found a few other games announcements that have come out, and I posted some actual full color, full page advertisements for them. That were announced for the Coco that never came out at all. Uh, Synapse Software, like uh, Picnic Paranoia, as far as I know, that we advertised that in every Coco magazine. That was in Color Computer Magazine, Rainbow, Hot Coco, uh, full color ads, like they went all out and they announced three games at the time Protector 2, Seamus, before Tandy picked it up a year later, and Picnic Paranoia. And as far as I know, Picnic Paranoia, I don't believe ever came out. I've never seen a review of it in any Coco magazine. I've never seen the disc image. I have seen the other two lots. But they did a full page ad in Creative Computing for two other games that were supposed to come out for the Coco. Neuromancer was one, and I can't remember the name of the other one top of my head. Yep, you can take a look at the picture in the in Discord. But once again, it was announced for a multiple of machines, including the Radio Shack color computer, and that never saw the light of day either. So we have some of this same stuff too. So <clears throat> I might have to collect a few of these around that I know never came out and uh, send them up to this site as well. But we've also got a whole bunch of games that we don't have copies from the archive, but I have seen reviews, so I know they did exist. And there's others that um, could have never been released, uh, but maybe got advertised for like six months straight because I've seen a few of those or they're not on the archive either. Or they just could have went missing. Maybe they didn't sell that well. And the person that, you know, the few people that did buy them were not nasty pirates like the rest of us and just never uploaded them everywhere. It's sad that, you know, I, mean, I would have encouraged piracy at this point. And the last game on news one, um, we're going through August of 1982 in Chronological Gaming, and he's gone through all the early in the uh, month releases. Now he's starting back at the A's for the uh, ones that came out at different times or later on in the month. And then he did his first Coco one for this month, and it's Across the Rubicon by Arc Royal Games, which is a, a wartime strategy. Low res, it's done with, you know, semi-graphics type stuff. Um, now, <clears throat> his game is more geared towards... I would say more arcade style games in general, because a lot of these games like simulations and war games and stuff take so long to play. It's hard to give a really good feel for it in a one or two minute snippet. Um, but this one is pretty primitive, um, even by standards then, because some of the Apple II ones and stuff at this point in mid-82 were doing like full high-res graphics and things. But <clears throat> this is one of the earliest games that Arc World put out, and they later did put out some high-res stuff. So this was kind of their start. Um and Phil Keller did a lot of their games. So he was really into war games, did a lot of stuff. So anyway, if you want to check out a little bit of that one, including some you know live action gameplay and some of the setup and stuff that's required to play it, like there's so much stuff you have to memorize the manuals, like 30 pages long and 
it's uh if you're into involved war games or if you were into the original uh you know word-based uh war games from companies like uh avalon hill uh before they started getting computer games i mean you you probably like this kind of stuff that's the end of the game on news so so in in the uh, chat mark siegel's mentioning seamus came through the education group at radio shack why the education group? What's educational about Seamus? <laughs> Educate me, Mark. I don't understand. It's an education on how to make a good game. Okay. Um, ready for the regular news? Yeah. All right. Let's see Light. the fire. Light that The hurt. thing that everyone's been waiting for all show. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, the Coco Nation News, with L. Curtis Boyle. Announcement, Mark. I'm on. All right, you're on. <clears throat> okay, so uh, Coco Tech announcements. I'm going to let Mark do because I haven't had a chance to keep track of the schedule here lately. Um, so I'll let him do that first. Then I've got a couple things I want to catch up from last week because they aren't active web pages that I can display. I actually I downloaded some stuff locally to show. So there's a couple things I got to show there too. Uh, so, Mark, do you want to go through the announcements of Coco Tech events already scheduled, which we're up to what four? Sure. Now, I think. Uh, yes, I have four on the calendar. And by the way, we do have a calendar that is on our The Coco Nation page. It's uh, listed as schedule calendar, calendar schedule, I think. Uh, show calendar, actually, is what it's called. <laughs> and it now is in a calendar format, and you can see. So coming up this coming Tuesday, I'm going to have Paul Fiscarelli and Paul Thayer uh, talk about Paul Fiscarelli's um, Coco Sprite Compiler, or Pixies for those of you who are you know in this century. Um, anyway, <laughs> I know a little bit about it. <laughs> For those I like know. reinventing the wheel. I know. Go ahead. I know. Anyway. <laughs> yes, I don't. Anyway, I have to throw it in there. Otherwise, I'll get hate mail. Anyway, um, so um, I know a little bit about it, and I've seen some stuff done with it. It looks pretty cool, and hopefully this will be a foundation for maybe a tutorial for people getting started with it. I know he doesn't have at the moment like a general distribution for it, but I'll talk with him about doing something like that for people that might want to try it out. Um. And then coming up on the week after that, I will have um, Mikey Furman and uh, Boise Pete, who are going to be talking about the history of DriveWire. And I'm hoping to get you know a nice background history and all the stuff. Some of it we've talked about previously, but it'll be nice to know a little bit more about it. And I have a few things I'd be interested in knowing about. And then the week after that is going to be... Um, yeah, and the week after that's going to be um, oh, that's going to be the um, uh, G Shell one with uh, Curtis Boyle and Rick Euland. So that's basically the seventh, the fourteenth, and the twenty-first, all Tuesday evenings. Sorry, it's inconvenient for Europeans, uh, but you'll be able to watch it in replays. And then two weeks after uh, Curtis and Rick is going to be another one on Grease Weasel and Floppies with David Ladd and Paul Fiscarelli. Uh, hmm? I think I'm washing my hair that day. That'd be fine. Ooh. anyway so and so far they're all on tuesday so that's just coincidence i mean that's not a mandatory thing it's it's just where it kind of falls in the week it kind of splits up between the game on challenge and what we're doing on uh, on uh, saturdays like right now 
Um, and, you know, if it comes down to it doing something for like Dragon Thing, I could see doing it maybe on a uh, early Saturday morning for me, uh, which would be afternoon uh, for uh, Europe uh, or a Sunday. So that'd be a possibility too. So, you know, it's not written in stone. It's just where it's kind of falling at the moment. Yeah, because I can definitely see like a Sunday, especially for some people that actually work evenings. Like if we ever wanted to have, you know, Jeff Deke into something, he works evenings and weekdays. He'd never make it on a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and I would love to have him on talking about all of his DCC compiler stuff at some point too, because I've it's yeah, there's yeah. so much happening there. I've just totally lost track. Okay, thank you, Mark. And, and keep keep suggestions coming in for uh, people that want to, you know, us to cover a certain topic on Coco Tech. Send the suggestions in. People that want to present, send the suggestions in. Mark's the go-to guy on that. Um, so contact him directly on Discord or through email, and all bookings will be done through him. And okay. that was a suggestion there about Deke and DCC. So you can add that to the <laughs> I haven't talked to Deke about that yet, so, I mean, we'll have to let Jeff decide. I don't know if he's much into public presentations either, so we'll have to see if he's okay with that. If not, maybe we can get him to do a seminar at uh, Coco Fest or the Virtual Fest. Actually, you want to mark, mention that, Mark, because you're kind of... Um, yeah, that's still being thrown together. Um, I attended the Glenside meeting this last Thursday. Uh, Terry uh, Stiege was also there. Um, both Terry and I, um, and uh, Grant Leedy was sick, so he didn't show up. Uh, but um, both of us are on the, the, the panel, basically, advisory panel, uh, management pan panel for the uh, Coco Nation. And I know this had been pitched, I guess, in September, and Terry had brought it to us, or Grant did, I don't remember who. And it's like, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to do a virtual fest. Um, Jim Brain, El Presidente, uh, was thinking that um, basically he, he liked the, uh, the virtual fest that we did in 2020. And uh, he also enjoyed like showing off his workspace and stuff that you can't easily bring to a Cocoa Fest. And of course, there's people that can't travel for various reasons. Um, and so he thought it might be a good idea to have a some sort of virtual fest that would be done maybe about January as kind of a promotional for the actual Coco Fest in uh, May this year. And of course, other events like BCF Midwest and stuff. And so, yeah, I'm willing to run with it. I mean, uh, it's basically what I'm doing with Coco Tech, just finding people, scheduling it, and then setting up time to stream it. So um, I left it in his court. He's going to post some uh, basically some polls on Facebook. Um, so we can figure out what weekend in January people would be most likely to uh, be able to be available. Um, and then we'll probably be looking at time slots. Uh, one idea I've had, I haven't floated around too much, is maybe if we did it like on a Saturday, being that we do have um, a lot of people in Europe, maybe do a really early for me, I'm talking like, you know, 6 or 7 a.m., which would be about do, do, do about 1, 1 p.m., 2 p.m. In, in England. Uh, maybe have like an early slot for a few hours, three, four hours, and then maybe do Coco Talk, you know, Coco Nation, and then do another one in the afternoon for kind of the more this area. So it'd be kind of throughout the day, kind of break it up. So haven't pitched that yet, though. We're still trying to find out what day might work best. So right now, I guess all weekends in January are up as a possibility. Please vote to say which weekends you could make it or not make it so we can figure out where we can get the most amount of people. Okay. Now, is, is Mark... Uh... Mostly going to have to be the one in charge of streaming all that, or is he going to get a break too? Because that's a pretty long day for him if he's got to do all um, that. I'm well, pretty much bed right here. <laughs> I'm, I'm <pretty> much <laughs> just already. roll over. <laughs> I'm pretty much streaming already. I haven't tried it at 10, 1080p yet, but um, I should be able to do the streaming myself. So, and, and and me just scheduling people and then getting them on at the right time is about all I need to do. So, I could sit here and babysit that for the day. Okay, cool. 
Yeah, I look forward to that. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to do a presentation because I'll probably save up whatever I'm planning on doing for the actual fest because we will either stream or record those, preferably record because streaming didn't work yeah. too well last time. Jim wanted to preferentiate people who wouldn't be able to make it to Cocoa Fest at all. Um, you know, people from Europe, people from Australia, that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, you'd be at the bottom of the list if you even got a chance at it. Yeah. Like Wayne Campbell could cover some uh, his uh, DCOM because he's actually progressing pretty well. Now, that'd be a good one because he won't be able to make it to the fest either. So that'd be a good one. I exactly. might even co-host with that one. That would be no problem at all. Or that so. could be a Cocoa Tech episode. That's the problem I'm having right now is that, you know, some of the stuff could fall under either or. And like, where do I want to put it? Exactly. So, and it's like I said, for me, it's more the same. I just have to schedule more people and pick a date. <laughs> so that's no different for me. So that's why I'm more than willing to take the ball and run with this. So, so to speak, Hey, that metaphor works in soccer as well as football. I mean, football. <laughs> <laughs> and football even. And even football and rugby. Okay. Back to you, Curtis. Okay. So I'm going to share my entire desktop because I got two things side by side to show here. So. This is one of the ones I missed last week. So it was announced in, I think, both Discord and in the Coco mailing list that some of the original authors of the newsletter, originally called Tier City Computing, which you can see on the left, and then eventually became Color Computing the last year, I think it was published. And this was done by a couple of students in school. And I'm not talking college here. I'm just talking regular school. So they were quite young. I think it was like grade eight they started this. And it was yeah, just kind of a little right. school project. Sorry? That sounds right. Eighth grade. Yeah. So it was, it was basically two guys. It was uh, Joe Ahern, I'm hoping I pronounced that right, and uh, David McNally. And they've kind of you know rejoined the co-community. Now, some of these had been scanned and up on the archive, but they actually finished the collection. So every single issue, including an unreleased one, uh, unfinished as well from February of 92, which would have been the last one that went out. It didn't actually go out to anybody. So the one I'm showing you on the left here is the very first edition they ever did in June of 87. And the one on the right is the last officially released one. In October of 91, you can see you know, you know quite a few things have changed uh, as far as it's going. But they, they just, this is a little school project. It was basically for relatives, uh, themselves, and some teachers. And then eventually they took out some ads in like Computer Shopper. And they actually ended up with you know over 100 subscribers at one point. So actually it went pretty well. And they were publishing it, uh, I think, monthly at the very beginning. They kind of went bi-monthly because that was a lot of work. And anyway, it got up to being like 30 pages, I think, an issue or something like that, and you know, programming and stuff. They did try to do some experimentation with covering other machines. And then they kind of went back to the Cocoa type thing. So the tier setting of computing is a little bit misleading because, I mean, they were covering basically just the Cocoa. They weren't doing model 1, 3, 4, 12, 16, et cetera. But I thought I'd show some of these here. So all of them are available in the archive if you want to get it. It's actually got a separate section in their magazine section if you pull down the archives menu. Um. I like the I like the rust left over from the paperclip on the left there. Right. Well, and <laughs> yeah. you can see the the art is still taped on. This is actually the original copy, or actually the original possibly because not that the tape? yeah like you can see the tape marks here where they taped the the pieces <laughs> and when you were to Xerox that would have pretty well disappeared, right? Right. And I don't know if they had an access to a color copier because you know if you don't probably didn't need to you know do the little hat thing in in color, but. That's funny. That's cool. Well, back then, color copiers would have been really expensive and yeah. hard to get. Yep. Yep. I remember we we, we used that for a couple of times. We were going to use that in our newsletter. We kind of took a look at the cost, but nope. <laughs> nope. nope. <laughs> Black and white it is. So I'm looking at through the very first issue here. They kind of go through. And I, I mean, it was kind of amusing. I mean, they're grade eights. So they didn't really know this full history and stuff. So they had a few things a little bit wrong. But basically, I at that age, I didn't know much either. 
And then they definitely learned as they went. They were starting getting into alternate languages and all kinds of stuff, semi-language programming and everything else. So in the span of you know four years, uh, they do their own little ads here where they just cut pieces out of the actual Tandy catalogs and stuff and put it up. Um, they they really went all out. I mean, for grade eight, this is pretty impressive to yeah. to do all this. It's a bit more color. This month's program is Carnival Rider, the game by one of the the two principals. They actually got some other people helping out in later issues as well. Um, there's the actual listing you type in. And then some, you know, simpler uh, beginner stuff where they're just showing you how sound works. The color markers actually make sense. You can't color grayscale. True. But the copier will make a green marker into a grayscale for you. So, yeah. Update in OS 9. So that they immediately appealed themselves to me once they mentioned OS 9 here. So that was awesome. Yeah, OS 9. <laughs> Here's a, here's a little, you know, written in orange marker, uh, an order form to get more issues, et cetera. <laughs> I have to give these guys credit here. I mean, when we did our newsletter, I think Dwayne, who was our first newsletter editor, he would have been in grade 10 or 11, I think 11. And he ended up being an English major. So, I mean, he was kind of primed for this. But for grade eight, this is impressive. So that's their uh, first official issue. And then on the other side here, I don't. Is my Zoom overlay showing up on your stream? Or are you guys just seeing the actual magazine? No, we're everything. Okay, good, because it's it's actually blocking part of it here, but I can just scroll through it. So this is the final issue they actually released um, officially up until they came back and they released the unfinished February ninety two one. So you can see they changed the name to Color Computing. That only happened the last year. Uh, they were called TRC Computing up until that point. And here they're going back, like looking through color logo and uh, simulating commands, customizing multi-view. So they're getting more into the OSI stuff too. And then they have, you know, some programming stuff here, including stuff by people that are not the two of the founders here, like Jim Dees wrote this article. Reviews, they start reviewing stuff like Crystal City and Cocoa Labels. Uh, much more professionally typeset on some of the stuff they did here. Um Apologies for being late. <laughs> basically, what had ended up happening is that they got busy, like they were graduating high school and, and basically getting into college, and they just figured we don't have the time to do this anymore. So that's the reason it basically folded. It was basically their high school project for the entirety of high school. And uh, here, like you're announcing new Cocoa products from Sundog, like Warmonger, Graphic Express, Photon, new version of Fourth, Arcade, Arcade Pack. Uh, 68K products for OS 968K. Um, disk utility for reading the disk raw with the source code listing for that. And then they, had, they end up doing their own software company. And they actually said in the final issue that uh, even though the magazine was stopping, they would still fulfill any orders. And if anybody ordered stuff, they would still make you know the software because that takes a lot of time than putting together a magazine. Roaming Ghost, there's another one we could have used for Halloween. They did their own cartoons. <laughs> there's a bit on color logo. <clears throat> Simulating commands. Customizing multi-view by another author. They actually got a few other people that are well-known in the code community to write some articles for them. I think, try to remember, I think Bob Vanderpool ended up writing some articles. And of course, he's the author of like VED and a whole bunch of OS 9 commercial software and, and he did some other stuff for Disk Basic before that. So he he's, was involved in the community for years before they started this and he ended up writing for them. He's a fellow Canuck, actually. 
they started taking on commercials from actual um you know paid paid advertisements from some of the you know people that were in the coca community from between 87 and 91 doing advanced comic uh, advanced topics definable functions etc in basic telecommunication contacting bbss etc pre-internet Back issues, you can order back. I have back issues. Did you have a subscription to this, Bob? No, just my own back. Yeah, just oh. back issues. Uh, at this age, I think all of us have back issues of some type. I might actually have issues of that in my stack back there. Actually, I've got a bunch of old stuff. Semi language course from Derek Snyder. This previous one on Osteen Multiview was actually from uh, about Vanderpool. I never heard, never heard of this. I, I wish I would have known it existed at the time. It got quite sophisticated, didn't it? Yeah. Color systems. That's Zach Sessions' company, so he obviously knew about it and you know submitted ads. That a uh, couple of stories back uh, looked uh, good enough to actually have been in a Rainbow magazine. Yeah, well, they were getting some of the people that were writing articles for Rainbow well, like writing for this as well. Layout. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. They definitely got better. Uh, and bigger, too. Right. I mean, if the, if the original one was like 15 <laughs> pages and this is 35, so it's a decent little size, too. So I'm, I'm glad they came back in the community to share all this stuff with it. I'm we're actually arranging for getting them on for an interview on the show, hopefully both of them at the same time. So if you have any questions, first of all, go to the uh, Color Computer Archive. The entire run of this magazine is on there if you want to go through them all. Cool. And then if you have any questions for the uh, original people that founded and authored most of the articles, um, have them ready when we do get this interview. Um, no no date's been set yet, but uh, it'll be on the regular Coconation Nation show. And we'll keep you posted on that. And I got one other one from last week to share. And we'll see what my sharing does, if it's going to share the whole screen or work properly this time. Password list. Hey, it, it shared just the window this time. Awesome. Okay, so this came over from the Amigos Discord um, by the author of this particular article, Retro Radar Column, uh, Ian Lee. And uh, the Cocoa was not well known in the UK. And this is a UK magazine. Um called Retro Gamer. And this is a physical magazine. This is not an electronic one. This is, you can see on the top, you can see the folding of the pages, et cetera, right? And you can see some of the you know, commercial here on the other side. The Coco was not that well-known. The Dragon is probably much more well-known. The Coco, because of import tariffs or something else, was quite expensive. There wasn't a lot of Tandy stores in the UK. There were some, but it never came close to selling as much as the Dragon did. So it wasn't that well-known of a machine. And Ian kind of, you know, from watching the Coco show with Bowden Aaron, of course, got kind of interested in it and ended up getting one. And uh, he's quite liking it because, of course, we had a lot of stuff the Dragon didn't have and vice versa. So it's it's almost like complementary worlds, but a little bit different. So he wrote this article to say that he wanted to get more interested and then start getting more into the Coco and finding out what all it had to offer over the years, et cetera. And I thought that was really good because this is a general retro gaming, <coughs> sorry, a retro computer magazine that covers everything from Sinclair's to Commodore to TI to Apple to, well, everything. Sam Coupe's, whatever it happens to be. 
And he wrote a really nice little article here, uh, mostly talking about the Coco show itself and then also the Coco in general. Um, so I actually asked him, I said, would you like us to plug uh, this article on the magazine? Because he's going to make this a column by the sounds of it um, on our show. And he said, yes, please, please do. So Ian, here you go. Here's your plug. And I'm looking forward to reading your further articles on, on Coco software and Coco hardware and the whole Coco scene. And now I'll switch over to the regular stuff, assuming Zoom behaves. Just a single, you're not seeing my whole desktop again? Uh, yep, that's fine. It's good. Cool. I have no idea what was going on the first time because that's the exact same thing I was clicking, just a single window. <laughs> okay. So first one up, uh, Bob, since you're actually on the call, I'm presuming still, and this is your video. I'm here. Yeah. So I'll just start playing the background. You kind of want to explain what this is, because it's kind of a comparison video, I believe. Yeah, basically just taking a look at uh, alternative uh, recording devices to replace a cassette deck that most people don't necessarily have or want to buy. Um, I guess it's been asked pretty regular whether MP3 recorders can be used. Some people seem to think that they can't, but I've had no problem with most of them. Well, some generally a higher quality MP3 recorder works fine. The, the cheap voice recorders, even if they have a mic input, there's issues. It's not going to be a plug and play. Now, along that line, I wanted to ask you a question here because you had mentioned in, in your video here, I, what kind of cassette recorder are you using there, first of all, for the physical cassette recorder you tried as a base? That is my old uh, GE. It's literally a uh, branded computer data recorder. Because I'd been doing some reading on other things, and, and they mentioned like the CTR-51 or the CCR-81. I can't remember which one they were mentioning, but one of the Tandy ones. Oldsy is one of the best cassette recorders for loading computer tapes on every platform. Like they tried it on Commodores and Ataris and it works better than most others. So I'm wondering if in, in your case, maybe the cassette recorder, you mentioned you had so many iWares trying to load stuff in that maybe the recorder uh, itself might've been part of the problem. Really. Mainly that one particular tape has gone bad. Oh, okay. I, uh, I also went through the Mickey Mouse space adventure and I did almost a full playthrough of it, but I didn't put that in this video, just a, a few snippets of it to demonstrate how the it multimedia works. part. Yeah. And that's mm. basically, I was pointing out in this video that the SVI cast is like almost perfect, but the fact that it won't do any uh, integrated audio is pretty much its, its main weakness. And that zoom audio recorder there is the first thing that I found that worked, uh, Pretty much out of the box, I was able to plug in my cassette cable and save to it and record from it after, you know, getting the, the levels adjusted right. Yeah, Zoom recorders rock. Unfortunately, it was quite expensive. I remember this was the yeah, one that was... That thing's like uh, 180 200 bucks. And then this Tascam recorder, I could use it to play, you know, to, to load programs from. But again, just like the Zoom H4N, 
neither of these will recognize the wave files on the archive. I have to convert them to MP3s, and then they work. And what format are the archive ones? Are they WAVs or what? They're wave files, but they're generated by a tool, not by actual recordings. Uh -huh. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on with them, why they don't work, but whenever I put them in the device, it tells me invalid file. Yeah. But it, it records its own wave files just fine. I can save in a wave format and it they work fine. So, An SVI cast, that's uh SVI cast. That one is actually Alex Scayers from the list. Uh he was having trouble saving to it. And he sent it to me. And that was basically where I figured out to put a uh resistor across the speaker, the cast outline, basically. And I just put it inside the factory cassette cable from cast out to ground. Uh, I think it's pin three and four. And that's and the that, one we figured might fix the network two controller issues too, right? On the Cocoa three and two? That's possible. It's an easy enough thing to test. Yeah. And this right is the here. multimedia part where it displays graphics and then it's playing audio in the background and then it loads the next chunk of the program. And I accidentally had the cassette audio left on for this, but I decided to leave that in the video for demonstration purposes. Yeah. Yeah, we've demoed, the, or not we, but we found a guy that kind of went through all the audio um, multimedia type stuff that Tandy put out because there's multiple programs they did like this. Like the one with Clyde Tombaugh who discovered Pluto actually talking about his discovery of Pluto. With pictures in the background um so there's a channel on youtube that did like there's like spanish lessons and all kinds of stuff that's on there it was all multimedia coco stuff like this mm -hmm. so i won't play it again here but uh no this one i think i've heard of but i never didn't know anything about it the lemon lemonade loader lemonade loader i didn't really know anything about it either that's something that i acquired in a uh, bulk uh coco lot that i got down near austin like back in the 90s and I had never used it. It says it's for the Model 1. Now, is this something that's still available these days, or is that you'd have to go uh, find it on eBay? Yeah, I don't think you could find one if you had to. Uh, probably have better luck finding one of Nick's uh, video uh, digitizers. <laughs> mm. Then you did a full playthrough of Taxi. <laughs> yeah, full playthrough of Taxi. That was exciting. I do uh, fast forward through a lot of it. Yeah, I actually played this one a little bit too when I was doing research for the web page and stuff, but it's a little bit of fun. And then you have a cheap voice recorder here. So this is an MP3 recorder, I presume? Uh, it's like a little $10 MP3 voice recorder. And it has a microphone in and a headphone out. So that's basically the what I was looking for in a voice recorder. Now, on, on all of these, like, you, obviously, you tested the loading because you were actually loading programs to test them. Did you te test the recording? Like, does that, that work was, fairly well, too, and, and load back in fine? The criteria that I was trying to see if it would work is whether I could save to it and 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 load what I had saved. Okay. So on the, the Zoom audio recorder, I was able to do that with no 
no modifications to anything with the task cam recorder and with the SVI CAS, I had to have that resistor on the CAS outline and then they recorded reliably hmm. on the cheap little MP3 recorder. I have not been able to successfully save to it. And I haven't really even tried putting a file on it to load from it, but I suppose that's, I mean, at that point, you're probably just going to use your phone to play. play yeah. So. Add, did, add a data point. If you come up with a Zoom H2N, mm -hmm. which are also available used and they're older, so you might get one cheaper, they're rock solid also. It's, it's yeah. perfect both ways. So now, Is that the same Zoom that does like guitar pedals and stuff too? No, this is just a little... Uh, Knowing the company, color. is it the same Zoom that does oh, guitar? Oh, the same pedal? Zoom company. Yeah, Zoom is a good company overall. That's why their stuff costs money. But yeah, it's a pretty solid little recorder. State at state at that level of equipment and MP3 is fine. I guess Bob's proven that voice recorders, your mileage may vary. <laughs> so anyway, for those people that want to, you know, have maybe set up some old cassettes they want to recover programs from from back in the day, or if you have some of the multimedia stuff that requires cassette. These would be good solutions to to go through and go through your reviews of them, like you kind of list, you know, how which ones are really expensive, which ones are nice and affordable. Um, One thing you can do with a recorder like this is take your crappy old tape, record it, stick it in Audacity, and fix it. So, if you want to, if you really want to recover a lot of old data, it's almost like the, a grease weasel for a cassette. Exactly, this would be your <laughs> primary interface, and then you can fix the file. Now that you've gotten it, I just saw a gleam in David Ladd's eye. He might have to do a <laughs> secondary follow up with uh, he's got to do cassettes now, too. Tape grease weasel equivalents. And then, last, I'll play a little bit of this here before we uh, come out of your segment. But you want to see the full reviews and the full, you know, kind of going through which ones needed a little bit of the mod to get it to work properly, et cetera, in case you have some of these things lying around. Uh, definitely go check out Bob's uh, YouTube page, La Coco Strangiato. Uh, named after Rush, of course, one of their songs. Um, but you have this game that you quite like and have liked since you were young, I understand. If I... Yeah, that was one that I typed in out of uh, Hot Cocoa, Elmer's Arcade. Uh, he would put in these nice, short, little, simple programs, mostly puzzle-type programs. This was uh, more of an arcade style that, I don't know, it just stuck to me almost as much as the game Slither. Is, is it is it more of a game that stuck to you even more than say um Neutroid Reloaded? Um no. The original Neutroid, I'm not sure. Nah, this is definitely easier to understand than the original Neutroid. Yeah. And this would be fun to do with some of the modern uh basic things with you know like uh sprites or pixies whatever you want and and better sound <laughs> but i actually ported this game into uh a database program on pc uh alpha 5 database and just there was a they integrated a timer function into their basic uh called x basic and i I use that to create basically 512 virtual boxes and change the colors of them to simulate the screen animation. 
but cool. I, I, not too often I hear a game being written in a database. Yeah, <laughs> it actually uh, gained. I posted it on the on that Alpha Five user forum, and somebody picked it up and put it in a book. It's been published. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, they changed the timer function so that it didn't work anymore. Yeah, backwards compatibility is probably not that big of a deal on them. No. <laughs> I mean, definitely go check out Bob's uh, video on his Lococo Strangetto page on YouTube. It's uh, a little over half an hour. does a full-depth review of multiple options that he tried uh, and what mods he needed, if any, to, to get it to work and which ones just don't work that well at all. And a couple of bonus gameplay things with Taxi, which is a multimedia style game. And uh, what's the name of this game from Elvis Arcade again? Dang it. Dang it. I've not played that one. I'm going to try it sometime. And it's one of those games where your scores are in the single to double digits. I, I think my highest score ever is maybe 35. There you go, Ken. You might have to put this one on the uh, a bit of a, a different version of game on where you have some basic games being ran. Uh, next up, I won't play this video because it's almost half an hour too. Uh, Tier City Retro Programming on YouTube put up a video that he's working on a geometric graphing tool, um, which is using the, the actual proper Cartesian coordinates where you have negatives and positive values, um, unlike how basic itself does it. <clears throat> which starts with basically zero, zero in the upper left corner. Here you have it centered on the screen, so you can actually see, you know, in all four quadrants and does some manipulation of stuff there, figuring it out. So if you want to check that out, please check out his channel as well. Uh, Coco Town, um, he's doing part five of his uh, Game Revolutions. Now, there's going to be a bit of a pause after this one, um, as he reveals at the end of the video. So he's been going through various things that are trying to resurrect his Moon Patrol clone that he started as a teenager, never finished. So he's done added uh, double buffering, et cetera, to smooth out some tearing and stuff he had. He did stack blasting, and he went all out on the stack blasting on the previous episode. And on this particular one, he does self-modifying code to do checks and stuff and get out faster, something Nick is very familiar with, as are Paul Thayer and Paul Fiskrell and a bunch of others that do that too. Steve Bjork is also very familiar with it, though he hates it. Um, I'll play a little bit of the intro here because it's kind of a, a funnier intro than he normally has done. And they're normally pretty witty to begin with. And then I'll play a little bit of the outro so you can kind of see what he's up against now. So he's going to have some videos not related to this game for a little bit as he starts researching uh, a different issue. Hello, and welcome to the series where I do stuff to a thing. In the past couple episodes, I talked about how I use stack blasting to win back some of the speed that I lost when I moved to off-screen buffering. But there's one other thing that I did that I didn't talk about, and that is self-modifying code. Today we're going to talk about what I did and how I did it, and most importantly, why would anyone... That sounds like something Steve Yerk would say. Why would anyone... And then he goes into the main debugger trying to figure out because he thinks he's still seeing some tearing. And I can't remember exactly where he talks about it. So it tells you the X location and the Y location. I'm expecting the Y location to be at the bottom of the frame every time. Keep your eye on beam Y as I advance to the next frame. It's all over the place. What's going on? 
maybe I'm not really even looking at reality. How do I know what I'm seeing? Am I really seeing tearing or am I just seeing an artifact of some bug in MAME? Well, as it turns out, there is a bug in MAME and I've been spending a lot of time recently looking into the MAME source code and seeing if I can fix it. So I'm gonna be taking a break from this series and instead you can expect to see some videos that talk about other things like MAME and this bug and what the heck's going on? Cause I need this fix before I can continue with my game. Hello. Oops. So anyway, that's that's kind of intriguing. I haven't talked to him about what the bug in MAME in particular is. Um, I'm guessing it has something to do with the timing of the V-Sync or the timing of the, the raster beam and where it's actually doing the display. Um, has anybody encountered something like that in MAME before? I don't know what a bug is. It's called the original three versions of Neutroid. <laughs> okay. Anyway, well, I'll, I'll keep you posting that because I'm kind of interested in that too. Because I mean, I usually use MAME for debugging or for figuring out, you know, other people's programs if I'm trying to patch them, et cetera, or, you know, add six through nine code, figure out what, what parts are getting hit the hardest so I know which place to would get the best bang for buck. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he discovers in MAME, and maybe we'll get some fixes out of it, too, since we have some active MAME developers like Tim Linder in our group as well. So keep your eyes posted for that. Next up, Dragon Pie Emulator. Um, has anybody else heard of this before? I don't recall if I've heard of it before. I didn't even know this was a thing. Yep. But it's... Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a pretty interesting project, and it's wrapped around a 6809 emulator in Py, uh, Python that... Uh, yeah. Okay. Because from reading it, he just made a new release literally yesterday, uh, 0.9.1. And this emulates the Dragon 3264, the Cocoa 1, the Cocoa 2, and the Cocoa 2B. It's written entirely in Python. And now it's been, uh, I don't know if it was this particular version where this started or maybe a couple of versions back, but basically it requires Python 3 or higher. It no longer works under that. Or PyPy, which I'm not even sure what that is. Do you know what that is, Alan? Yeah, it's the Python package installer, PyPy. There, okay. There's also a faster version of the Python engine that you can run on. So Python by itself is written in C and is called C Python is the reference implementation. But there is also a Python in Python, PYPY, which has a just-in-time um engine in it that can speed up parts of your Python code that you run over and over again. Okay. Sort of, sort of like an adaptive compilation where it figures out, oh, I'm in a yes. loop. I'm going to stay in native converted instructions. Yeah. And it okay. caches what it's figured out as an optimization, and then it runs through the cached version rather than a slower version from before. Okay. Um, he also mentions that uh, this is not meant to be a second explorer, but more for his learning of how things work, etc. Uh, currently, he said the current versions run the Cocos and Dragons in text mode, as well as single board computer ROMs like the SPC09, the Simple 6.09, and the Multicomp 6.09. And it also includes a rudimentary basic editor that you can access too. So he has a little demo here. So here's your actual Python emulator. And here's a little basic editor where you can pipe, type in your code and actually have it jam it right into the emulator's memory. So you get like full editing keys and cursor control, cut and paste, all that kind of stuff there, which is sorely missing in the extended basic. Um, he basically said that the current Vectrix emulation he's got is completely not usable. So don't do that. 
a little bit of the basic editor. Now, have you done much playing with this, uh, Alan, or are you just you're just aware of the project? No, I, I messed with it on and off. Uh, looked at how it was doing the sixty eight oh nine on in, internally and things like that. Yeah, because he said he it based it on I don't remember who wrote the six eight oh nine bit. Oh, it's a uh, Cavnex sixty eight oh nine. Yeah, but he had the author's name in here at some point. Maybe it was on a different sub page. I can't remember. But he actually listed the guy. I was going to try to give the guy a shout out. Grant something or other. It might not be in this page. Hey, anyway, um, the latest version, just like I said, got released literally yesterday. Um, 0.9.1. You can get it from the show notes on our Discord if you want to get the direct link to it and go download it and give it a shot. And because it's in Python, it's obviously cross-platform. It'll run on Linux. It'll run on Windows, etc. Next up, DigiCool Things. Uh, there's another uh, kind of a hardware project here. So this is uh, the Minimalist Europe Card Bus, MECB. Some 6809 Basic Fun is the title here. This came out the day before Halloween. So he's basically got a, a single board 6809 piece of hardware he's written. And then he's done some previous porting of stuff like Pascal and stuff to it to try it out. In this case, he wanted to do some 6809 or uh, sorry, basic on this thing. And he's, he, he admits in, in the article itself, he's not a big fan of basic. Uh, but he started asking around, like, what would be a good basic interpreter to put on 609? And some people suggested one that's quite familiar to us. He was talking about doing his Pascal port originally. Uh, extended basic. And, um, oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Grant Serial Minimal Computer Design. And suggest that the extended basic would be a good one. Of course, that was the basis for GWiz Basic for Microsoft for the IBM PC. So it is a good one. It was one of the more advanced ones. So that's what he decided to use as his base. And uh, he's actually got that available for you to take a look at. And he's got a whole you know blog here listing everything in here. And a very extensive article anyway, but he's basically got it running. Um, I'll play a little bit of this video here. Hello again from DigiCore Things. As I now have a modular system with a flexible... How's that volume-wise? I thought it would be fun to mimic another simple 689 system and to also get a basic interpreter up and running. Now I'm not really a fan of basic. I started out with microprocessors, so I was used to having the power and speed of using machine language on 8-bit microprocessors. So I found interpreted basic to be too slow and restrictive. But the worst was seeing teachers teaching kids how to write unstructured spaghetti basic code littered with go-to statements and totally unreadable. Sounds Australian. My initial high-level language of choice was eventually the wildly successful Borland Turbo Pascal compiler on the IBM PC. But as basic as the de facto standard amongst retro 8-bit computers, I thought it would be a fun exercise see how quickly we can get BASIC up and running on our MECB 6809 system. From a quick Google search, I landed on Grant Searle's minimal 6809 computer design, where he utilised the TRS-80 Color Computer Extended BASIC as his choice of a good 6809 BASIC. Now there were a couple of things I needed to take care of. Firstly, Grant's 6809 design is based on 32K of RAM, 16K of ROM space, and an MC68B50. I don't play the whole thing. It's almost a quarter of an hour. But basically, he's got a kind of a history of the whole project and where he got his inspiration from and then kind of does some demos of it running. 
Um, so if you guys are interested in that kind of stuff, it's actually a pretty, pretty interesting article. And like I said, a lot of detail in here. And uh, I don't know if anybody would, would be willing to build one of these, try it out. I'll be kind of interested to see it. You can see some screenshots here. Of, uh, obviously, it's running not, not well with a VDG in it, so it's running an 80-column screen. But he did get it up and running. So he's got basically Microsoft Extended Basic running on his little project here. Uh, next up, uh, Mr. Dave, um, who, of course, is working on a sprite library for the Cocoa 3 graphics. And now he's working on some optimizations for BASIC itself uh, to do faster presets, etc. He's also got a, a memory fill command kind of thing where you can tell it to fill in a byte or a 16-bit word pattern between two memory locations, optimized for speed, obviously. Um, he just released this this morning, actually. I won't play anything with sound because it's got music in the background. I'm not sure if it's copyrighted or not, so let's skip ahead here. But basically, he's replacing some uh, commands here with some new ones in the basic interpreter. There he is doing the manual poke of uh, 4,096 memory locations using a four next loop in basic, which is very, very slow. And there's a speed comparison, uh, Slowpoke uh, versus this new fast thing, which is basically a, another command FSP, uh, which I can't remember that says fast single poke or something like that. But basically, it's it's his new keyword that he added to basic. And uh, it does it so fast, the timer doesn't even register 60th of a second <laughs> so, compared to 1447 for doing a 4NX loop with real numbers. Um, this is the kind of stuff that you see in Basic 9, not to this extent, obviously, but since Basic 9 has native integer and byte, and you can do integer loops, it's also much, much faster, as we have demonstrated on the show a couple of years ago. He's also been adding some extra features, as he called feature creep. We can also skip bytes. You can tell it, you know, put a certain value every second byte or every third byte or something like that. So you can draw like vertical stripe lines in a fast routine. On a screen, for example, or if you want to pre-initialize a string or something like that uh, with, you know, mixed of stuff. And then he has ranges that you can do uh, for filling in memory and with 8 or 16-bit values so that you can do, uh, you know, fancier textures, et cetera, if you're doing, say, a graphic screen. So anyway, this is still very much a work in progress. He just want to show some of the progress. Um, he's also doing stuff like taking out some of the error checking in BASIC because uh, it does a lot of checking to make sure, like, you're in the right P mode or you... Uh, you have, you know, parentheses around your set and preset commands, which technically you don't really need. But um, with his version, you don't need them at all. And then it saves having to interpret the parentheses as part of this the stream, uh, doing points, you know, reading the color of a point on the screen, etc. So he's still working on it, uh, but he's got some pretty decent speed increases using some of these commands now. Now, because he's taking out a lot of the checks that normally are done for uh, ranges and stuff that are allowable for routine, you can technically get this to totally screw your computer up. I mean, if you do a a fast memory poking thing and you actually write over top of, say, the gimme vector page or the IO addresses or your own program, you can definitely screw things up. So he, as he mentioned when I talked to him a bit about it on private chat earlier, 
This is meant to be done once you've got your code basically up and running and working and debugged. And then you start adding this stuff in, which is going to take all the checks and balances out and just let it rip. So I suggest that maybe he make one that does the same syntax, but leaves the checks and balances and make a separate version that you can use for debugging and, you know, well crashing a machine every time. Um, and then, you know, have the other one for the actual runtime library that would, would have these checks and balances removed because you've already debugged them. You've already made sure they're not going to screw anything up. Hopefully we'll have Mr. Dave on once he gets this whole Sprite project and this part of the project as well, kind of done to do some like live demos and show, you know, side-by-side -side comparisons of what the speed's like. And then we have a couple of Dragon ones. So uh, Richard Harding posted his interview with Brian Moore. Brian Moore was the second managing director and the final managing director for Dragon Data. And he's got a complete interview here, how the how he got hired by Dragon Data, you know, when things went really south near the end, because he was kind of brought in late. Um, you know, how the shutdown of Dragon happened and uh, some other questions that Richard Adams. It's a pretty good little history of basically the second half of Dragon Data's life and some of the stuff they were hitting up against at the time. So a very good interview. I'm not going to go read through it all here. He's got some pictures in Dragon User Magazine. Actually has Brian actually on the cover. And from some of the articles, there he is today with an actual Dragon Repro board. Um. A replica of the beta board in this case. So this was the unreleased one of the unreleased dragons, like one of the ones with a ton of extra stuff on it. So that's that's pretty cool that you actually got to see that again because they're actually trying to recreate that machine now. And then my final one, uh, Julian Brown, of course, is doing kind of like Pedro did with the Coco Three we were showing earlier with Brian Weasler, uh, doing the repro board, but now going past the original specs and adding new stuff onto it. So he's got his revision three, and he's been kind of getting parts in. He's got his third revision of the uh, the board itself. This is where he starts adding in a bunch of extra features like 256K RAM. And he didn't have any ROM or RAM in this one, so he just fired up, but it actually seems to be generating video. You know, it's dumping out basically through the VDG what it can get because there's no RAM. It's just all ad signs. But basically, it seems to be working. So progress is continuing. We'll keep uh, everybody posted on how that project is going and see what all he adds on to it, because there's a ton of stuff on there. And that's the end of the news for this week. So that means, Mark B., you have to wake up now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Get up, gotta stretch. Big gotta stretch. I, I didn't hear snoring yet, so I wasn't sure if you were awake or not. So yeah, my microphone to... was off, so yep, I had to <laughs> mute. Well, that was a good show. Still under four hours. Yeah, I think having Coco Tech where we can move some of these technical topics onto their own two hour shows, I think will help shorten the shows a bit. Though I did notice our viewership went down because the the show shortened. I've never figured that out, but that seems to be the the trend. Hmm. I don't know. It looks like we've had 38 today. Yeah. Well, I, usually after a week, we're getting between 250 to 300 on average, except when they're short, then they get 230. <laughs> so I don't understand. People like their long naps. You take away their long naps, they get upset. Yeah. Or they have they're... long commutes maybe during the week and they listen to it all then. I'm not sure. How no, that works, they're but... falling asleep halfway through, so they have to watch it again to see the part that they... Oh, that could be. I never thought of that. Yeah, but... That's very possible. And <laughs> we should just pause for an hour or so and then come back and do the end of the show. Maybe that'll help. And then people will wake up. We yeah, we'll see if anybody even notices we pause for an hour. We can always do a, a short, you know, resolutely, relatively short, you know, two-hour stream. And we're in trouble with Jim Rye, I should Rye, mention, because in the chat here, he says, less than four hours, I want my money back. 
All right, double refund. There you go. You <laughs> I think twice I should your money. My zero error. <laughs> what was that, Marco? Oh, I just said that uh, you know we can always you know do our two hour show Coco Tech you know two and a half and then pad it another hour or two just you know so that uh, you know so it's the right length. We can play <laughs> one of Ron's uh, Apollo uh, Apollo launch uh, videos. Yeah, filler. Uh, he's got hours of that stuff. Uh, all yeah. space space shuttle. Yeah, exactly, filler. Uh, yeah, space shuttle. I mean, yeah. So look at yeah. Just to remind everybody uh, in the U.S. here, daylight savings time drops back an hour. So those as of tonight, of that, correct? Yeah, that's tonight. So, and Canada. So we can so, to, uh, even even Tuesday's show. We got one coming up Tuesday, right? Yeah. 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 Even Tuesday, and, uh, show, we had one. It'll be one hour back from where it normally would be. If if Those you don't are, observe daylight savings at the same time, yeah, yeah you, you know, every other time zone except our little four here. <laughs> so, yes, I do wish they would get rid of it. <laughs> right, it's, it's it's now four. Next week it will be three. In so my it's time. what whatever uh, benefit they thought it might have, it certainly is uh, obsolete by now. So, so next week I'll it will be noon, and I'll be an hour early. Is that so tomorrow morning? I go around the house and try to figure out how to change the clocks. Ask your computer. The computer will have the right time, and you can change you all the clocks. better clocks. Yeah, like Wayne Campbell in the chat saying, "I'm fortunate. Every clock in my house will automatically change, except for the microwave oven." So he's prepared. Yeah, and all my clocks are wrong. They're going to change at the wrong time, and then they're going to change back again a week later or whatever because they changed the date when everything changed. All yeah. my clocks are just blinking 12. Yeah, my... <laughs> oh, well, even go. those are right twice a day. <laughs> all right. Yeah, there's Ken, master to 40-year-old computer but doesn't know how to set his clock. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. The Coco didn't have a real time clock. It was never exactly. That's why I right. went for the. Yes, Coco. it did. I had several. It was too confusing. <laughs> those ones that had the time on them. <laughs> Print timer. That's all we got. Well, so this right. week we have Coco Tech on Tuesday. We have Game On Challenge on Thursday, and another episode of this show, The Coco Nation, on Saturday. So it's a full Coco week. It'll be what Saturday, Ikey. two o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh huh. For Ike, yep. which means I got to remember to change the little clock in the corner up here. Yeah. And Mark, <laughs> just a quick reminder: what is the Coco Tech episode this Tuesday? Oh, uh, Paul Fiscarelli's uh, Coco Sprite Compiler with Paul uh, Thayer and whoever else I can drag up. So, oh, I know it's, it's the Pauls. It's the Pauls, yes. And I know that uh, Ron Delvo is a big fan, so he'll probably be on too to cheer him on and maybe um, offer some suggestions. Yeah. No, you don't know? Okay. What time does the show start? Eight. Uh, let's see. Uh, it'll be uh, uh, 9 p.m. your time. Hmm. Sorry, uh, sorry, wrong. It'll be uh, 6 p.m. your time. Okay. <laughs> See how confusing that is, fun. folks? Would you guys convince your governments to just get rid of this daylight saving <laughs> crap? <laughs> So what what time what time is that? It's eight o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Eight o'clock Eastern Standard, and that's UTC minus four. Or minus five, sorry. Four. Five, five, six. 
Oh, you know what? Just just tune in. Just tune in every couple hours and see if we're on. That's when it's on. Yeah. Folks, That's the easiest right. way to do it is go to the YouTube channel or the Twitch channel, subscribe, and you'll get it. You can actually tell it to notify you when any anytime we go live, and you'll actually get an email telling you the show is starting. So just do it that way. Except Bring that notification bell. Yeah. Doesn't work for um, Facebook because we were not there today. Yeah, we'll have to figure what happened there. I'm not sure. Yeah, as as Mark said, he, he had it all checked there. It was supposed to. It just didn't. Is that because and we have our update? Canadian content. Yeah, we should be fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, okay, 60's asking, are your opening credits going to be correct again? I'm not sure what he's referring to there. Uh, I'll have to look at it. There must, I mean, it does say the time, and it must have the wrong. Uh, it must only have, be standard time on it. Is it because the Radio Shack guys have the wrong shirts on? No, there's a little thing like... Uh... Just blink 12 on the opening credits. <laughs>
please. Yep. Till next week. <laughs> Thanks, Save us all. We'll be, we'll be see you all something. next week. See you on Tuesday for Coca Tech. See you on Thursday for the game on channel. See you next Saturday for the next episode of this show. And channel. Which is we'll start